0: to say that
1: <laughs> oh, you don't always say
0: that. that that's your normal intro no i oh. i i've never said that to anyone in any situation <laughs> and i always wanted to do something like that um except uh you know all my guests it's, it's one-on-one conversation so it's like saying well it just, you know it doesn't work <laughs> oh, so you're calling us bitches. yes oh <laughs> I, t- I thought you're talking to the audience like no <laughs> no <Nana. laughs> No.
1: Oh. Oh. oh, we're the bitches. Yeah. yeah. Of course, we're the hot bitches, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. I was like, You're a bitches, yeah,
0: bitches, what's up? Yeah. All right, oh. corporate, well, well, corporate. Well, hello. Co- hello, corporate curb nice. kickers in the house.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So, how are you? How are you, ladies?
1: Good. On my end, you know, it's kind of rainy and kind of gray outside, so that definitely has an effect on my emotions. But being on here with you guys totally perks me up with all the lights all around. Makes me feel alive. Lights, makeup. Mm -hmm. Yep, see, I did my eyes. What, what? Although this one looks like this a little bit. Hold on. (laughs) How you doing, Tanya? I'm
2: doing great. I have the same funky weather,
0: (laughs) but you know. Dude, we're all in the same city. (laughs) Different parts of the city, right? I'm Brooklyn, you're. We're actually in three different boroughs. You're right. I'm in Queens. Tanya's in in Manhattan. Manhattan.
2: That's right. That's right. Tanya,
0: you're in my old hood. I grew up in Washington Heights. You
2: did? I love Washington Heights. It's a There's always a party going on, always, always. (laughs) Well, do you join them? Well, no, not during COVID, but you know, um, when it's Saturday night and you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and there's there's just the salsa jam happening. Oh uh, yeah, you just uh, your choices are to be a little annoyed about it, or to be like, "Wow, it's Saturday night, and I'm in my house, and there's a salsa jam happening." <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I think I was always indifferent. So uh, when we when my family first moved to New York, um, we were in Queens and um, in Woodside, and um, and it we where we live, it also happened to be on the path of the, you know, the airplanes flying through. And so uh, it was, you know, it was always noisy. There was always some sort of noise. So I kind of got used to that. Um, and so, you know, when when we moved to Washington Heights and all that noise, street noise and music and all that stuff, it's like, you know, whatever. It, it like, it never phased me after a certain point. Yeah, <laughs> but I did not join. But now I'm think, kind of thinking like maybe I should have. <laughs> But so how old were you when you lived there? Oh, I was young. I was like nine. We moved out. How old was I when I moved out? I don't know, in my 20s, in my mid to late 20s. Yeah. So, so you went to high school
1: there?
0: I went to, actually, I went to high school, uh, John F. Kennedy, which is like uh, directly south of Riverdale. So I mm-hmm. went to high school with a lot of Riverdale kids. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So Riverdale is it like the TV show? I know, no, know no. that's a TV show. I don't know what it means in New York, but no, no. Sorry. Oh, are you guys? You guys are not from New York? No, I'm no. native. I the apartment I grew up in. So, but I know yeah. Brooklyn. I don't necessarily ah. know other boroughs. You know what? That's what it is. You, I think Brooklynites tend to be very Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I lived in Queen. I guess. Just two boroughs, yeah, Queens and Manhattan. But because I went to school in the Bronx, I also know the Bronx, mm. and uh, and you know, and when I went to college, I met a lot of people from Brooklyn because I went to NYU for a while. So yeah, and I went, I actually did go to Brooklyn a lot for different things. But um, yeah, um, but anyway, yes, Riverdale. So Riverdale is in the Bronx. Riverdale is a Jewish neighborhood, oh. but it's it's uh, like somewhat affluent jewish neighborhood this is back when there were not million dollar houses in new york there were million dollar houses in riverdale (laughs)
1: okay yeah isn't it like riverdale country day or something like some
0: um yeah i don't know but um yeah i don't know too much about like all that like what you know I'm sure yeah I'm sure there are private schools there stuff but it's not like the entire Riverdale is all affluent you know there's some middle income and you know working class I'm sure and it's not like 100% Jewish but it is I would say maybe predominantly I don't know if it's majority Jewish but you know there's a lot of Jewish people there yeah uh they had some the best bagel I ever had was in Riverdale (laughs) Aww, (laughs) what made it so good I don't know. I mean, but you know, bagel is a Jewish thing, and so they knew how to make it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's. Oh, yeah. It,
1: wait, really? yeah. That bagels were Jewish. Yeah,
2: I or didn't Jewish know that. Thing? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I am not from New York, so there's there's new stuff I learn every day.
0: <laughs> so Where's wait, Tanya, where are you from?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she has no accent.
2: <laughs> uh, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: <gasps> and that's where I grew up and lived. Uh,
2: grew up and lived most of my years. Give us that New one more time. That little, that little. Now, <laughs> love it. In <laughs> apostrophe, in apostrophe, A W L I N S. Yes, <laughs> so You yes. can say you can say New Orleans, you can say New Orleans, uh, you could say New Orleanians, which is one thing New Orleans people never say is new Orleans <laughs> <laughs> no one from New Orleans I grew up
1: saying it New Orleans
0: that's right <laughs> that's because you're not from there
1: <laughs> um
0: wait how, how do other pe- other other people in the south what how do they say New Orleans
2: uh, well, I don't know how other. What you mean? I don't know how other people. You you, you would have to ask like I don't know a oh, person okay. from Georgia how they say it. Okay. Uh, I could tell you as a native how we say it. <laughs> uh,
0: I was. I guess I that question comes from. I was wondering if maybe because it's in the South, there's some Southern. You know, uh, in terms of like the the pronunciation, if it's a it's more of a Southern thing. No,
2: no, it's a, it's a, it's a definitely New Orleans thing. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but there are some words in the South, like, uh, the difference between pecan and pecan. Yeah. You can hardly you know, say it. Really, you have to work really, hard. To say you know, it. in New Orleans, it's like pecans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a pecan pie, you know, or I'm going to eat these pecans, but you know, you go to Georgia and you say pecan and look at you like what are you talking about strange alien it's pecan
0: <laughs> oh yeah no in the north in the north we say pecan we don't say pecan
1: really we yeah say pecan? I, I say pecan well i guess pecan pie
0: but can i get some pecans oh no i never say that yeah. oh really well i don't yeah.
1: ever ask for pecans anyway but
0: whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um it's like um what is that uh what's the other word that's commonly Oh, salmon, salmon, and salmon, almond and almond, same thing. Uh, some people pronounce the L, some people don't, but I don't.
1: Almond, almond. Oh, huh, that's weird. I never thought about how I say those words. I
0: never yeah.
2: thought about how I say it either. I think I just, yeah, it probably varies. Mhm. Yeah. No, I agree. Depending on who I'm around
0: so so tanya you're from new orleans i'm sorry <laughs> i said that wrong <laughs> i i said it the only way that's not acceptable <laughs> go ahead Let's well, no
2: no you know you can say that you could totally say it that way i mean it's fine you know i just can't say it that way
0: <laughs> all right this is new york you have cars honking um new orleans that's it you grew up in new orleans yeah yeah uh when uh when did you leave did you, and did you come straight to new
2: york oh no no i i left a while ago i um went to um school at cu boulder um university of colorado at boulder oh wow yeah which was a a, a definitely definitely a culture shock mm. coming from um Louisiana but it was the it was the best thing like um I had no idea that I'm I love the great outdoors but I learned that in Colorado because Colorado is such a beautiful state you know I love hiking I love camping you know I love white water rafting I mean it runs the gambit but that's that was learned because you know, you're not hiking in Louisiana. Like if you don't hunt or you're not a fisherman, ah. uh, there. Louisiana is very beautiful. Gosh, it's such a beautiful state. And uh, I love my home. But, you know, um, I wasn't too cool with hiking through the swamps. Or <laughs> I know. Uh, you know it's humidity. just a... Uh, It's a different kind of beautiful. It's a different kind of beautiful. And so when I moved to Colorado, and for the first time, having all of those opportunities to do that type of stuff, I mean, I just love it. I'm an avid hiker now. I hike all the time.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um, I'm
1: curious. Like what what made you, because it is so different. What made you go out out west? What was the the center for you? Well,
2: you know, when I was looking at schools to do, you know, talking about career-wise, right, because we're corporate curb kickers, Yeah. Um, I really wanted to be in journalism, and so I started looking for schools and, um, you know, picking certain schools, and then I got accepted to some, and then, you know, CU Boulder is the one who came through with the money,
0: Ah. so it's like, Okay,
2: that sounds great.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's often, that's often how it is, is you know, uh, and that's, that's like, that's the, that's the job situation too, sometimes, you know, it's whoever, I, I remember my fir- first corporate job, um, I got two or three offers in at the same time, it, it was for a while, for a couple of months, I got nothing, just interview, 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 every single day pounding the pavement, and then all of a sudden, these offers came in all at the same time Mm -hmm. and I just went with whoever gave me the most. (laughs) Uh, I mean, this is entry-level job, so, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, so I think um, let's get right into it and uh, I want to know about your origin stories. So, that sounds a little like we're superheroes, but, you know, hey, (laughs) I think there should be a uh curb kicker uh comic book series (laughs) there you go i'm totally game for that (laughs) oh so what would what would be your special power
1: Ooh, well i'll tell you what my superpower is Mm. it is the ability to juggle many things at once oh yeah so i'm the master juggler if you will Um, or at least I like to think I am, (laughs) except when everything comes crashing down all at once, (laughs) but that's my superpower. But if I had to choose another superpower, um, I think I would love to have, Ooh, the power of influence. Mm -hmm. So like, I love that show. I forget what it's called now, but it's like with all the different like superheroes, that's like modern day, these kids that got adopted by this billionaire, um, I can't think of the name of it now. Is so something, it um, something boys? Netflix. No, it's like, a, what did you say that
2: Netflix, it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's on Netflix,
1: I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Hargrave, Greaves, I think is his name. But anyway, but one of the characters, her superpower is the power to like influence. So she says something and then people automatically do it. So it's like, I would love to have that superpower, the power to influence. Cause then I would be able to make people stop being racist, <laughs> make people be more open-minded. And, you know, hire us for more gigs. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little plug
0: there. I I actually had, uh, I got the taste, my first taste of influence was when I was like four or five. Mm -hmm. And, um, and since then I feared it. It It's like, uh, oh, well, cause you know, um, I, I actually made a conscious decision that I would never do anything like that. Well, because it, when I was four or five, I it was a little manipulative. <laughs> As
1: all kids are. No, that's a survival skill. They like all are. I yeah. That's a survival skill that all kids do. So don't be ashamed of that. Claim your manipulative little self. Uh, what, you do? what happened?
0: Oh, it, it, I don't know. It wasn't terrible, I guess. So um, I have two older sisters, uh, five and six years older than me. So... And the, and the one who is directly above me, uh, I would say in terms of personality, she's the most innocent one, you know? Um, and um, now was four or five. And even at that age, like I had more cutting than she did, who was twice my age at that time. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and so uh, we, were, we were doing this um, play. Um, so we were sort of reenacting this uh, TV show a scene from a TV show we were watching and so we were reenacting it and uh, and the scene was mother and daughter reuniting you know that sort of thing It's typical Korean soap opera crap <laughs> and um, sappy stuff um, anyway and so the scene is the mother and daughter run to each other yeah and um, and uh, uh, yeah. And then they hug and and all that stuff. So, you know, we do this over and over again. I don't know why she wanted to do it over and over again. So we do it over and over again. And then at one point I slip and fall, right? And hit the back of my head squarely like on on the hardwood floor. And, you know, um, and it was really hard. So I got a little, I don't know, dizzy or bump in the head or something. So my sister was so afraid that she'll get in trouble for making me get hurt she she said she was like bribing me she's like i'll get you anything i'll buy you anything what do you want and so i said okay i want this i want that and i want that and so i basically made her spend like all her piggyback money <laughs> and uh and she later got in trouble for that <laughs>
1: giving you all her money
0: um yeah for falling for my scheme um I don't know if I intentionally wanted to spend all her money or if it just kind of, you know, you know how like sometimes you get caught up in something and just keep doing it and you don't have any like boundaries and so you just keep doing it until like somebody stops you, you know. (laughs) And then uh, so when she got in trouble, I realized like, oh, my actions have consequences. So I decided like, you know, I can't, you know, wield people around like that anymore. Uh, So yeah, but I mean, it didn't completely stop me because later in life, I, I have done things like that a couple of times, Ooh. but uh, but in general, I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. I'm very conscious about like not um, manipulating people. Got it. Yeah. All right, so going back to our origin story. So I think Tanya, we started with you. So I don't know, maybe we should kind of get back to that.
2: Oh, so my origin story in terms of uh, corporate life, um, you know, starting from uh, CU Boulder, I had the, the opportunity to uh, work with the Jim Lehrer News Hour, which was uh, pretty fantastic. Um, and then after that, after school, uh, I made the determination that I wanted to go to uh, Washington, D.C., And so a lot of my friends were going West uh, and I decided to go East. So I packed up all my stuff and uh, a little U-Haul and moved across country uh, to to DC. I didn't have a job at the time, Um, but my sister kind of uh, who was at the time working in the hotel management had a friend who kind of got me in the door at this hotel job uh, I found my uh, uh, apartment on the internet, which, you know, then was like, Woo! everybody was like, oh my God, I hope she doesn't get murdered. Uh, but it was, it was so small and I had a futon. It was so small that if you put the futon down, you couldn't actually walk into the room. Like you'd have to go from the door to the bed. <laughs> the crazy thing is too, I would invite people over like Cause I was like, oh yeah, and they would be like, they would come in looking like, wow, this is your place. I was like, yeah, have a seat on a food I would get the food. <laughs> um, because before I moved there, I had interviewed for a job with uh, C-SPAN and uh, with the great Steve Scully. Um, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I did not get the job. <laughs> so I decided that I was gonna move here anyway and when I got here, I called uh, the HR person. I hope she doesn't mind me using her name because she's just she's just so amazing. Uh, her name is Angie. I called her and I was like, Angie, I know I didn't get that job, but I really want to work for C-SPAN. So I'm moving there and I'll call you when I get there. <laughs> I know how ridiculous and bold, right? Um, and that's what I did. That's what I did. I worked for maybe one month at the hotel. uh, And then I got hired at C-SPAN, which is where I spent my corporate career. Now, uh, when I started there, I actually started as the uh, receptionist, which honestly was a great start because I met everyone very quickly. Like, I met um, Brian Lamb, the CEO. and at who was the CEO at that time now he's the chairman and Susan Swain who's now the CEO and uh, the the head of uh, the, the legal department um, and all of these movers and shakers in c-span I got to meet all of them at one time and uh, when an opportunity arose to do something else because you know it was they were all my advocates at that point. You know, they were all really kind of um, rooting for me to to just move within the company. And, and that's what happened. I went from that to uh, a, a PA working in programming, and then from that to an associate producer um, working for Steve Scully, who was the person I, um, Uh, interviewed with that first time. And uh, that was just like some of the best times ever. I traveled the country doing all of these really amazing, fun things. Um, Presidential candidates, presidential, you know, the DNC, the RNC, uh, the Iowa caucus, the Uh, New Hampshire primaries. And it was a really, really fun time. And we were part of a really great team under Steve Scully's leadership. Uh, And then after that, an opportunity arose to work with the courts, the Supreme Court. Um, Our Supreme Court person went on leave, and I filled in for, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, as you can imagine, that's a pretty tough learning curve. uh, so
0: uh, just uh, for clarity, um, what what were you doing exactly for what? The, the last thing that you said? The
2: Supreme Court? Yeah, uh, I was filling in for the Supreme Court producer. And so we had a show at that time called America in the Courts, where we put together programming about um, people, justices, judges, federal um, appellate court judges events uh, in a weekly show um, to just kind of talk about the courts. And then sometimes we would do special programming on the Supreme Court or on federal cases that could appear before the Supreme Court.
0: So uh, this is in front of the camera.
2: I was behind the camera. So no one ever saw my face on camera. Uh, You know, actually it was, pretty amazing behind camera. You um, you learn a lot because, well, you really have to. If you're a producer, it's your job to know. It's your job to know everything you need to know so that you can answer any possible question that can come up ever. If you're in a live, it's your job to foresee any potential problem before it arises and fix it immediately. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a catch all for everything. But it was an oh, yeah. opportunity, and uh, that's what, uh, when I left, when I left C-SPAN, I was actually the, um, I was the senior producer and the Supreme Court producer uh, for the entire company, for all, and for all of the C-SPAN networks, radio and, and the web.
0: Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a quick note uh, or just observation. So earlier you said that uh, you started out as a receptionist yeah. and you commented how that was that was the best start. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. And I think not enough, um, I think um, credit is given to like the, these entry-level jobs um, because it can be a very, uh, it can be an excellent way to start with a company and learn your way around, right. you know? Yeah, you don't have to start as a superstar, you know, (laughs) just like ground, so the the ground up, move up kind of um, concept I think is kind of, has been sort of getting lost, I think. I think there's great value in starting at the bottom and working your, your way up, yeah.
1: And I would add also, once you're in a company, knowing the receptionist or the assistant, like folks who are considered lower, quote unquote, lower than is also super important because they know a lot. <laughs> they can give you the in, they can connect you. And a lot of people don't see that, right? They just see above them and how to get, go up the ladder if you as opposed to looking laterally or even down the ladder in order to be able to build community and build oneself up and then learn a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally learn. So kudos to
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. I started out as a as an admin. That was my first corporate job administrative assistant. I don't know why the word secretary was seen as a derogatory word because it's not like secretary of state. Hello. Yes. <laughs> That's a big shot. So I don't know why the term secretary became like a, a no, no word, you know, uh, admin. Really? that Does that sound better? Admin assistant? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, we're So I I just wanna, I do want this to be conversational. So even though we have ourselves on mute that if you have a question, just unmute yourself and and ask. So yeah, if you wanna continue uh, your story, Tanya.
2: Well, that's pretty much, you know, that's what I did. Uh, And as I, I'm so thankful, my goodness, for my time there. Uh, Still today, I learned so much from that structure, that world. And so even though I'm not in it anymore, all of those skills, I mean, all that skill set is with me. I've got it.
0: Um, so, cause right now you are a K-pop dancer and actor. Uh, I'm really curious about the K-pop uh, connection because you know, that's just, um, and you know, and the more, I think maybe after, is it after I met you or shortly before I met you? Um, I, that's when I started learning about BTS. Even though I'm Korean, I'm not all that connected to the Korean culture or the Korean community. I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, yeah, whatever.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's okay, we love you, we love you anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really, Closely identify or or stay connected to any particular thing. Um, I I I think I like the fact that I'm kind of an island. But then you know, because I'm not connected, I don't always hear about it. In fact, um, my last corporate job, um, there was this this colleague. She's English. She's from England and uh but she spent some time in korea teaching english and so you know she had a natural curiosity about the culture there and and all that she's the one who told me about gangnam style (laughs) girl (laughs) i don't know if i would admit that but okay (laughs) no this is how clueless i am (laughs) sometimes but anyway so Uh, Tanya, I'm really curious about the whole K-pop thing and uh, when was the first time you got the acting bug and why you decided to kick the corporate curb? The acting bug.
2: So I have really a a great friend of mine. Her name is Tiffany Silver, who also worked at C-SPAN at the time. And now she lives in Los Angeles and she's making movies. So she had this project that she wanted to do for the web called the Alan Lu show. And she asked me if I would just come and help. And of course, I said I would. And uh, it was long, it was kind of crazy, but it was also amazing. And it was so creative. Like we were creating uh, things in a new way. Because I was, I've all, you know, as a producer, I've been in a creative field. Uh, for a while but this was a different kind of creation um, and after that I decided I was like this was great so I said well I'm gonna take a couple of acting classes took a couple of classes and then my teachers are you know giving me feedback like that's very good you're you know you've you're you're you've got something there and so I was like okay so then I said well I'm gonna have my friend take some photos. <laughs> So Fred took some photos and, you know, and then I saw something pop up and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go on this audition just to see, just to see what it's like. And at the, you know, it was crazy. There were like tons of people. If you ever go on an open call, which we've all done, there are like, gosh, I don't know, a hundred or so people up in there. And I did my audition and then they called me for a call back. And then after the callback, the uh, director, you know, he was like, Tanya, we love you. We think actually you would be great for two roles in this. So um, it was a short film. He was like, so, you know what, we're just gonna let you decide what you want. And then I was like, okay, you can't possibly beat this. Really? Uh, And of course it's not. That was just, that was uh, just the beginning I've had, many, many new since then, but that was, uh, that was the beginning and it started, that actually started a dual track that I started walking, a dual role with one leg on each side of a path, this acting path and then continuing uh, what I was doing because, you know, I, I, I consider myself that I've, uh, for many years, I was in a great love affair with my job, with my corporate job. I absolutely loved what I was doing. And I felt like uh, what I was doing with the courts was really important work um, to just kind of. Uh, to what I was doing there was important and it mattered. But then this new thing started happening. and more opportunities started opening up on this new thing. I started getting cast in plays. I you know, started getting calls from casting directors to audition um, because I just would do it for you know, for fun. Like they'd have a open up like,, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go. I can go. And um, then I started getting cast for things. And for for a long time, I was walking this dual path. And then this path started calling more and more and more. And the corporate path, as the corporate world began to change, um, I no longer had um, as much free time to even, you know, at one point I was, on call, I had started being on call for all of these different things. So instead of just courts, um, I started, um, I was asked to take on other responsibilities as well, uh, which was fine, Um, but you know, that meant I had to be on call at nights sometimes. That also meant that I had to be on call on weekends. That meant I had to be on call for travel. And for a, for a while, that was perfectly fine because I was within a schedule. So I knew what days I would be on call for all of these things. So, you know, if someone decided I they wanted me in their project, I would just say ahead of time, like, well, these are the days I'm available. And then it started to be where um, I had to be on call on days that I wasn't supposed to be on call. So I started doing this crazy juggling act because I, again, I'm falling more and more in love with this path. And during that time, I think I was really starting to, um, as many African American women or Black women, you know, we sometimes reach that ceiling. And it's like, well, where, what's next? Where am I going next? And uh, for me, I had this amazing opportunity to do this great series um, uh, about history and Supreme Court cases. And I again fell in love all over again with what I was doing. It was, you know, crazy 70 hour weeks. Um, but I loved it. I loved learning. I was learning all of these things about these cases, about meeting, you know, like former solicitor generals and uh, great historians, great constitutional law historians. And, uh, and then that was temporary and it came to an end. And once that came to an end, that, that hunger that was uh, awakened, and then I kind of had to put it aside to go back to what I was doing. Uh, and I just, I wanted more. And then at, the, the, at the, this entire time, the acting had been calling to me. At that point, I I'd even um, a great friend of mine, Rachel Murray and the Naked Theater Company, um, I had worked with them so many times at that, by that time. And Rachel approached me with the opportun- opportunity to be part of a new collaborative work where I had the opportunity to write. And we did, and it was it was hugely popular. That's another bug. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, and then we revamped it and um, and then I had a new opportunity to write, but to write an entire scene uh, you know, comedy. And at that point I was really kind of like, mm, what are you gonna do, Tanya? You know. You can continue on this path that's safe. You've got this great career that most people would be like, Tanya, leaving this is insane. You would be insane. Ultimately, I decided what's wrong with insanity.
0: Yeah, but also because you loved it. You know, I mean, it's it would be different if you hated that job for whatever reason, or if you hated that field for whatever reason. But you loved it. So I mean, you were in a rock and a hard place in a very good way. You have two loves. <laughs> but I mean, did you did you really feel felt like that you had to leave one to pursue the other, that you couldn't really juggle? I mean, aside from the time conflict that you couldn't really juggle the two? Well, I had juggled the two for quite a while,
2: but toward the end, I um, it was becoming, you know, because I was on calls so much, and the nature of what I did changed. So instead of it being um, different every day, every day became the same thing. You know, um, if the nature of what I did change other because I had to take on these other responsibilities outside of the court, the court was still just as wonderful and amazing as it has always been, but having all of these new things come to the fore. Um, and the fact that I no longer had any time to pursue this new love or not new love because at that point we, I was in the midst of two love affairs. I don't know, maybe it's like I was like cheating on both of them, who tell, you know, who knows? But um, it was, it was uh, I was not as in love with my corporate job. So I was in love for many years, we were in love but I guess it was like the end of a relationship, right? well I guess it really was like the like you're moving toward in the relationship where yeah yeah the love isn't there anymore you're still there you still appreciate it you're still you know but it's not the same and you had it, it just wasn't the same and I I was not at that point in love anymore I wasn't um and and that kind of, I wasn't in love. I didn't see a, how um, a future where I could still get to do that kind of innovative, uh, creative uh, work that I had done with them for so many years because it had changed. And I was, you know, primarily just sitting, sitting at a desk. And uh, for most of my career, I was not a person who, who sat at a desk. Um,
0: and so, yeah, i I made a decision. So how many, how many years into the career are we talking about when you made 18. that decision? 18. Okay. So that's a significant amount of time.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, they were, they were shocked. Cause yeah. I, am not sure who, who leaves the kind of, you know, to go, maybe you leave it for some greater job, but to, to leave it and it'd be like, yeah, I'm moving to New York city. I'm, you know, and I'm becoming an actor and, uh, they were great though. The because um, Brian Lamb, who is oh, just an amazing, wonderful human being, I cannot say enough wonderful things about Brian Lamb, and Terry Murphy, uh, who is the vice president of, of of programming, and just the whole upper echelon structure. Susan Swain, CEO, they all talk to me, and you know, I just it was uh, uh, just, it was a chapter that had ended and I'd made a very scary decision to to walk away from that very safe thing and just do something brand new. There were definitely people who felt like I had, you know, jumped the shark, you know, like Tynas jumped the shark, but there were also other people who, we're like, wow, good luck, Tanya. I'm rooting for you.
0: Congratulations. So how many years ago was that? That was
2: three years ago.
0: Oh, wow. So that's fairly recent. So wait, where were you? Uh, where were you before you moved to New York? I
2: was in Washington, D.C.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, so 18 years in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, so from New Orleans, New Orleans to Colorado to Washington DC to right. New York. Yeah, New York. I, I find what I find it interesting though. You chose New York as opposed to LA. Any particular reason?
2: Well, another one of you know, I I have a village. I have a village of people who've helped me personally in my journey. Um, Kate McCarthy, who was um, lived here, she moved here to attend Columbia um, grad school. And after that, she worked at ABC and for many years was George uh producer. And uh, she lived here for many years and I would visit New York all the time to come stay with her. You know, she's one of my closest friends. She doesn't live here anymore. Um, And all those years I became familiar with New York from visiting her all the time. I became familiar with New York, knew how to get around on the subway, um, you know, and I really have a lot to thank her. She would even give me like the keys to her apartment so I could come here, stay in New York and stay in her place when she wasn't even here in New
0: York. Now that's a friend. That's awesome, yeah. So So that's why. She was like doing Airbnb before Airbnb. <laughs> yes, but it was free. It was couch
1: yes. <laughs> that's, the one that, that's the one that's free. We sleep on people's couches. <laughs> or air mattress. Or air mattress, yes. Uh,
0: did you say couch
1: surfing? Yeah, it's a thing. Yes. It's like an actual. Like, oh, no, I know. Oh, oh you know. Okay, yes. Yeah. So couch surfing. Yep. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it, but know a lot of people who have.
0: I haven't done it either, actually when so when I was traveling around the world um, a few years ago, i I thought about couch surfing. and so when I um, for the Australia leg of the trip, so I was looking into couch surfing in Australia, and um, I you know sent out a few messages and none of them got back to me. Uh, so I was like, ah, fuck it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna Airbnb it. <laughs> Probably better. <laughs> It's for a reason, right? Everything <laughs> happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. But at the Airbnb though, um, I was staying with a family, um, and um, and it was I, I usually try to get a place where I can have my own bathroom, but in this particular is, instance, like I couldn't find one within my price range and the location I wanted. So I was like, okay, well, you know, it's a whole family with kids and everything, so you know, it'll be nice. Uh, So I I went there, and then one time, the the father, he did not lock the bathroom door, (laughs) and I walked in on him as he came out of the shower, and uh, I didn't really look, look, but as soon as I saw that somebody was there, I quickly came back out and, you know, closed the door, and I said, sorry, sorry, sorry. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's an Aussie thing. Like, he didn't really care.
1: <laughs> I guess at that point, it's like, you know, whatever. You know, it
0: is what it is. Why make a big deal of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so uh, wrapping up Tanya's story, I do still want to hear about the whole K-pop thing. What's that all about? Okay, so...
2: Um, K-pop, it's it's actually a fairly unique story, and it started in Washington D.C. and it started toward the end. Actually, you know, the whole K-pop, the decision to to leave, kind of really happened around the same time. Well, you guys know I'm bonafide about K-pop. I mean, you know, I'm cuckoo nutballs. I mean, in BTS, yes, I'm a I am bonafide army for real, for real. So. I was, it was a cold, it was a, it was a cold, snowy day in Washington, DC, one weekend. And I had a bottle of wine, popcorn, and hot chocolate. And on the Netflix queue, because I just started watching Korean dramas, but you know how that works. Like you watch one and others started popping up. And in my Netflix queue pops up this thing on this this cold winter uh, weekend called Dream Concert 2015. And I was just like, well, what's this? Well, it was all of these K-pop people. I had no idea, you know, um, and this was years after. So it was like in really, it was in 2017. So really right around the time where, you know, um, before I left. Uh, and I watched it and BTS was on there, you know, of course, I, at the time, I didn't know they were BTS. I was just watching all of this stuff and I was fascinated. And then there was this one group that I saw and they were called, I didn't know who they were called at the time, but I later learned it was XO. And they had the song called, call me baby. And my mind was blown. I was like, they were singing, they were singing live. They were doing this like crazy, awesome dance. They were all adorable. I mean, I was like, oh my goodness this, what am I watching? And of course that started it. Then I just threw myself in another rabbit hole, the YouTube rabbit hole. Cause I was like, well, who are they? Because they didn't say their name. The reason why they didn't say their name because in korea they were so huge that everybody knew who there was except oh, yeah
0: they they don't need to introduce themselves yeah right right yeah. exactly
2: so i uh
0: go on
2: youtube and i'm just i'm i'm watching every video now i want to know everything and in my youtube pops up this and it was called xo call me baby dance tutorial. And I was like, you mean I could learn that dance myself?
0: I i am going to have to look it up. <laughs> <You said.
1: laughs> yeah, I,
0: I did not know that there are tutorials, although I'm not surprised, of course. There, there's a tutorial video on virtually everything. Uh,
2: Yes, I wish I could remember the, the, um, I can't, I can can look it up uh, for who, for who the young lady is that taught the dances, but the, and I would, so I would go to work, you know, and uh, I would come home and that just really, you know, because during that time, again, I wasn't, I wasn't in a place of love. So I would come home, turn on this dance tutorial, put my clothes on and practice the moves. And I mean, I was doing that consistently every day after work and it became my happy place. It became pure joy for me to, pure joy for me to learn this. And that's what started it. When I moved to New York City You know, I'm like, well, I'm in New York City now. They have everything here. And literally, I just went online and I looked up K-pop dance class. And of course, I found one. Of course. (laughs) I have to give a shout out to my I Love Dance NYC family. You know, um, that's where I go. They teach me all of the dance moves. I still actually learned dances, especially during COVID. I've learned some dances just from watching YouTube and doing the tutorials or... uh, And at first I I wound up doing a whole XO uh, dance video myself. So she only taught the chorus, but I watched the whole dance in slow-mo, reversed, mirrored, and taught myself the rest. And then I made my own YouTube video.
0: Well, there you go. Wait, what's your YouTube channel?
2: Magic Apron
0: Three Thousand Two. So yeah, I was always curious about that too. So what's with a magic apron? Does it mean something? I love to cook. Ah, okay.
2: You know, I'm always uh, I'm always trying to throw somebody at some some kind of dinner party. I love having people over for dinner. I love having fancy dinner parties
0: where you know there's a menu and there's there's well cocktail that sounds like an invitation to me Tanya oh
1: yes
2: absolutely Uh, you know we can pass this COVID thing and then get our little vaccination
0: on I I think we should do a, a live episode after you know at your place a dinner party episode it was just yeah we could definitely do that i totally game for that. I'm always loving going to Tanya's
1: place and having something a little fancy. I feel like a grown person, <laughs> which is nice when I go to her place, even though I am a grown person. But um, but I remember as you were telling the story about K-pop, like that was one of the details that I remember. I was like, oh, I think I found my soulmate. I found my friend because how many? Black, okay, let's, let's face it. We not spring chickens. Black, not spring chickens women that actually know what k-pop is and actually really like it i however do not dance (laughs) to k-pop i've tried Mm, not my thing but i'm okay with that but i love the music i love everything about it it just i don't know it just makes life seem just so fun and light and you can lose yourself in it
0: um so k-pop is love (laughs) I'm I'm the only one who is not in love with it. I mean, I it's it's fine. <laughs> Maybe because I am Korean. Yeah, Maybe. I know. Maybe. I uh I've always been attracted to things that uh that I'm not a, a natural part of. Um I agree. Yeah. So, you know, cause like there's so much out there to learn and to explore and to experiment and, and all that. Like I, I'm Korean, I, although I can't say, I can't really say I, uh, I know Korean culture. Uh, this funny thing happens to, to all immigrants actually, all immigrant community that once they leave their homeland and transplant somewhere else, their connection to their home culture sort of Uh, stagnate at that level. It doesn't really evolve or or grow or anything. It just kind of like stays there because they're not really connected to it anymore. Um, So that's kind of like, so the Korean culture that I know is from back in the (laughs) seventies. What is that? Gotta get to K-beauty.
1: So I will say that where Tanya is in love and does all the K-pop dancing, I live and breathe on like k pop So this is one of the oldest brands. I always pronounce it wrong, so I'm not even gonna say it. Um, that I adore. But you can see
0: I'm it? So hold on.
1: You can see it, so, Suwasu. So Product placement. You know, you get I, <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah, I, so I can, take the well, multi-step process to get this skin as beautiful as you see it. It works in all skin types, not just you know, lighter complexions. Um, But it's great. No, seriously, all kidding and joking aside, but I'm with you, JJ, in terms of embracing other cultures or things that you're not. There's just something very special about doing that and embedding yourself in whatever that other culture is that's not necessarily your own, which I think is a really beautiful thing. If more people did that, goodness gracious, I think we'd have a much... Well, better country for sure, but a better world.
0: Yeah, I think we could get into that in the second hour. So uh, we're, we have like maybe five more minutes on this Instagram. So what we're doing is because Instagram live uh, limits the streaming to 60 minutes. So we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back on my channel, which is Beer Cake Podcast, and we're going to live stream there. Um, So Um, Before we have a couple of minutes. So what I would like to know is how you guys met the the two of you, whoever wants to go. So
1: um, it's really funny because anyway, Tanya and I have so many similarities in our stories. It's just uncanny and like very scary. Like on some days it's like we were meant to find each other but we met on on a play. Um, So we both cast in a play. And I remember the day we met, uh, we were all brought in. I don't remember it was the callback or if it was the actual audition, but whatever it was, um, Tanya was there reading for a part. I was there reading for another part. And there was another woman and she and I were reading for the same part. Um, and, you know, Tanya always says, well, you know, I think, you know, someone else is going to like get the role or what have you, because they, we look. it was a mother-daughter type of role, even though honestly, we could be sisters, but you know, let's lean in and (laughs) and say that we will be of different ages. Um, But uh, in the end, we, Tanya and I got cast as a mother-daughter pair, um, and it was called The Gates by, um, oh God, what's her first, I know Hudak is her last name. What's her first name? Uh, Eunice. Eunice. This is wonderful, very talented, Latina playwright. Um, who I guess also would be a corporate curve picker too, if we got into her story, uh, but she brought us together. And um, that's where we met. And we were talking one time, I don't know how we got on the conversation. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I left corporate and Tony's like, me too. like, yeah, you know, it really wasn't for me. And I decided to focus my energies on acting. Tony's like, me too. I'm like, okay. And then I was like, yeah, you know, my, my boo, I don't know how we talked about it, it's Chinese. And I belong to this group called uh, the Asian Women, Black Men Meetup Group. And Tanya's like, I'm a member too. And I'm like, stop it, you are not a member. And she goes, no, I am. And then we did the name thing of who we know because we'd never seen each other. And this is a meetup of black women and Asian men that get together to do social things, barbecues and the like and just hang out or eat or just get to know each other. Um, But we had kind of similar circle of friends and it just was incredible. Um, Yeah, like how much we had in common. It's almost like a kindred spirit Uh, because I'd been in corporate For 23 years uh, before kicking it to the curb, so to speak. Although, to be honest, even though we call ourselves the corporate curb kickers, you never really truly kick it to the curb, because it's always a part of you. All the things that you've learned throughout your time in corporate, those skills, I think as Tanya had mentioned early on, traverse and bring it, you bring it to the forefront in the acting world, and you kind of are at a advantage to others right because there's certain things that we already know how to think oh, about yeah, business perspective business perspective oh jump in JJ yeah
0: because because we have a shit together that, mm-hmm. that's why yeah yeah exactly. uh, I do I don't want to, you to continue because I want to hear your story in its entirety okay. so we do need to break um okay. so I'm gonna break my beer cake <laughs> oh no let's let's do that on on my channel let's okay. break out the beer cake and eat it uh, so hey, get your beer yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I put it in the freezer. Oops. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, everyone, um, thanks for listening. Uh, go to Beer Cake Podcast Instagram. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll start there. Uh, or we'll continue there. See you on the other side. Um, yeah. Fascinating journey.
2: Yeah. The whole, it's amazing the way the K-pop, the decision to how it all kind of, um, you know, it really, during that part where I was making the decision to leave, it really became a huge part of my life. Like, um, it, it truly, and it still is, well, you know, it's my happy place.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's my, it's my little happy heart.
0: Hey, it's streaming. All right, so make sure. Okay, uh, all right, it's,
2: I'm just gonna check my phone. Tanya. Oh yeah, my beer cake didn't arrive. That's okay. I have coffee. You know, what I want to say uh chime in on what you just said about how we met Chantel. Mm-hmm. The thing that I remember is that um the when I auditioned, I auditioned for with another person before you. Mm-hmm. And cuz I came earlier than you did and I auditioned with her and you know and um you know, um, there wasn't any chemistry with her and then uh, Eunice had asked me if I had time to stay and you arrived and she was like oh will you two read it together and I remember as we read it it I felt like I was like wow that was great I was like she was so good I was like man that was real I was like we really you know I was like that was you know mm-hmm. well, it's like the scene was just popping right, like right her we were hearing each other, we were listening to each other and we were totally in the moment. We were in it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I remember leaving that thinking, well, she was fantastic. There's, I'm not getting this because I didn't didn't see like the mother-daughter dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, and then I remember the the woman who arrived after me and Mm -hmm. I was like, well, okay, they look like they could be mother or daughter. So I was like, ah, uh. so when I got the call, I was really shocked. <laughs> you know, it was divine intervention, because, mm-hmm. you know, considering all of the things we have in common, it's
1: nah, just, it's ludicrous. It's kind it's, of bananas. It's,
2: it's, it's really like the universe. we like, whoa, you two really need to come to this city with millions of people where the opportunity of you actually meet each other it's almost nil but I'm gonna put you two together in the, a situation where you really have to get to know each other because you're in a play together mm-hmm. and you're in like you two are opposite each other in this play mm-hmm. yeah it was really, it was uh, the best thing since the best thing.
1: I know, and it's really funny because I almost called to cancel to be like, you know what, I'm not going to this audition because I woke up, I got ready to go out the door. And at the time, my sister and her family, they were staying with us. Um, and so it's my sister, her family, and the dog. <laughs> and that day, the dog decided to pee on the floor. So as I'm going out, like I'm dressed and everything, I step right in the dog piss, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Like, ah, oh, now I have to change. Now I have to do this. I'm gonna be late. I can't just leave the pee on the floor. I need to clean it up. So it was just like a mess. I'm like, I hate being late. Like my biggest pet peeve is like being late. Like it just makes it makes my insides turn like into. Like, um, so I almost texted Eunice to tell her that I wasn't going to come, you know, thank you for the opportunity, but something came up. Um, and then I don't know what it was, but I cleaned it up. I did it like, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be a little bit late, but it is what it is. So I will just let her know it is what it is. I think, I think I made it there like just on time, um, cause the trains were with me they were working with me at that point in time um but I do remember having that moment of almost not going so we almost had a near miss (laughs) but I still think we
0: would our paths would have crossed oh yeah I was gonna say that if you did you would have met some other way yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I truly believe in that um
1: I truly believe in that even you know JJ you and I meeting right (laughs) that's
0: so random actually so in 2018 I had I had two random encounters or meetings uh meetings of the mind um the one was you and the other one is my friend Stephanie uh or does she go by Stephanie or just Steph? I think just Steph. Um and she's an interesting person too. Um but anyway so uh what happened? Did Joan so we have a mutual acquaintance Joan I Thank you, Joan, for putting us two together. Thank you, Joan. Yes, 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 yes. So you have a connection with Joan because I think you both went to Yale.
1: Yeah, so we both, but we don't know each other, right, from Yale. Like, that's not the context. We know each other from the Yale club. So we literally were sitting across each other at the library working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I'm a fairly friendly person, right? So if I'm sitting there, I say good afternoon, then I sit down, I do my work, but I don't bother you. Like, we don't talk, we don't, but I think, we had like a crazy person who was like in the space with us. And so he kept doing stuff. And like, so we would look up at each other and we like kept having these like moments of like, okay. Like, um, and so then afterwards we went to get coffee and then we started, we just started talking then. Um, And that's when she's like, so who are you? What's your story? She shared her story. And then she's like, you know, I have a friend you should meet.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm glad she did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was me. Uh, so now and then and then I think either she contacted me and put us together or you contacted me cold and you said Joan. I don't know how it I think happened. She
1: introduced us like through okay. like Facebook or email or something like that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, And then, and then so yeah, so I, I replied and you replied. So now that doesn't always happen. Just because you're introduced to people, not everyone uh, reciprocates or actually hit reply and and say something. Um, So that was good, because like, I, I'm actually not shy about that. Like if somebody, you know, makes the first move, I'll reply right away and you know, and whatever. Um, by the way, so when I'm working with musicians, it's the same thing. Uh, so there had been occasions where I had to put a cold call out looking for a guitarist or you know some other you know instrument or something, and um, and if I and also videographers and photographers because sometimes I, I hire them to like take my shows and stuff, um, and it all really depends on how quickly. Uh, and how how responsive they are basically not just in terms of promptness but also in terms of like what I'm asking for are they you know willing you know or are they just negotiating like nitty-gritty details and stuff like I I want this to be easy and if if you don't agree with you know just don't take the job don't you know (laughs) like nitpick or or nickel and dime it's like this is what it is either you want it or you don't (laughs) you know um but anyway so you responded right away and uh and then we I think we met for coffee or something
1: yeah I think you came to the Yale club if I'm not mistaken you came to the Yale club and then we chatted some more and then you even mentioned like oh yeah I also among all the amazing things I do I also you know (laughs) videotape things so if you ever want help with your projects that you're doing let me know and I'd be happy to help you and I was like oh well that would be great because right now I am a one-woman show I take everything I do this I do so that would be wonderful to be able to have someone else hold the camera (laughs) but yeah I agree like even then the connection was very easy right I felt like I had a
0: kindred spirit you know um are you going to share your
1: origin story as well as part of this
0: yeah yeah yes that's uh but I want to go get to you first because I want to make sure that
1: um but our stories kind of had similar feelings as well similar themes I I mean the three of us do have like very similar themes throughout and it just felt it just felt right yeah yeah right there's some people that you meet and it like you said, like it, there's no connection that's there, and and it is what it is, right? You can't be besties with everyone in the world, yeah. Um, but it's really nice and very special when you do have that connection with folks. Yeah,
0: um, I know, like corporate com- curb ki- <laughs> corporate. It's a tongue twister. Corporate <laughs> corporate curb kickers. Uh, is a thing that you guys, you the two of you, came up with, uh, and you have your own Instagram uh channel. Uh, and all that and I kind of consider myself an honorary curb kicker because I'm, I'm not I'm not doing all those projects with you guys you know because the two of you you pretty you do a lot of things together and, and but
1: you do make cameos sometimes I
0: do I do the Last
1: time I wore this dress was when <laughs> <laughs> we did our last project before the world ended well almost ended and coronavirus
0: became a thing so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think that may have it that day was it that day? Um, what, was that in March? When was that? That's a good question. No, it was in January. No, I or, think. Or February. We had to do it twice because we went out in January. It was so cold and windy. We just couldn't get it to work. Yeah, and and the then camera
1: fell, remember?
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was
2: at the end of February or toward the end of February because it was right before I left. Ah.
0: Left Yes, and uh, and after the lockdown, I think you were stuck in Atlanta for a while.
2: Uh, well, for for a little bit, you know, I decided to um leave and come back uh into Zombie Land, which is cool. <laughs> at the time New York was the epicenter, and I was uh, so I left before everything actually shut down. I think San Francisco shut down first. Okay. And once that I made the decision to come back to New York City, because I was like, if I don't, um, I could be in Atlanta for, and I was right. It was, I would have been Atlanta, in Atlanta probably still.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so anyway, that's that's how uh, Chantel and I met. And the other thing that I was impressed uh, by you Chantel is um, I just, you know, I happened to have, I happened to have had a show coming up like in a matter of days and I invited you and you actually showed up. Yeah. And, and I, that, that's another thing, like when people actually follow through on the things that they say that they're gonna do, it's like, I'm always impressed when that happens because so many people flake out, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Incl- including me sometimes. Sometimes I flake out too, I, you know, I have to uh, own that, um, but hang on one second. I just have to do this thing in the computer.
1: Oh, no problem.
0: Okay all right cool um so that and i remember w-
1: that show and that was because i remember you so impressed me with just doing it right so like part of what tanya had mentioned like how scary it is right to be looking at the ledge like i'm gonna do this thing right like they well, there, there is kind of a safety net sort of right because we were in corporate so we kind of have some things in our back pocket but but still you're looking at the unknown of like what's gonna ha- like what's truly gonna happen this is a path that you haven't taken before um, and you did it and you put yourself out there like you had your venue like I was just like what go ahead girl like I need a little piece of that um, to be able to keep me going in my journey um, and so I think just when you know, you, you kind of get like a, maybe a little down in your luck and you're like, oh, I'm not really sure the universe sends signs or people that kind of help you like along the path. Oh, yeah. even just being open to it and leaning into it, um, or at least I'm learning to be, I should say, sometimes I do fight it, but yeah, I was so proud of you, even though I had just met you, I was so super proud of you.
0: Um, so let's let's get right into that so I know to step out on your own and and do something completely different is totally scary and yet you did it so tell us like how you came about to kicking that curb what you what you did before you kicked the curb Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah so
1: it's really funny so
0: I am and I'm gonna have a little sip of my um oh wait okay you know what so before you get started let's do that okay so so i did send out beer cake uh, unfortunately the cake to tanya got lost in the mail um and it's probably growing mold now so <laughs> so don't eat it when it arrives um and so here's my beer cake um it's in a bowl because i was experimenting with the recipe oh. And um, and I tried using uh, almond flour to cut down on the carbs, but um, yeah, I when you when you use almond flour, I have to use a lot less moisture, or or something, or you know mix it with like coconut flour or something else, uh, because it basically came out to the consistency of a very crumbly like bread pudding or something like that. You know, kind of like English pudding. It's basically steamed cake. It's yep. like that except it's not so steamy and it's very crumbly so it just kind of like fell apart <laughs> so, so i sent you glad i mean luckily i did two the original recipe and this one at the same time so i had that cake I, that i was able to send you
1: yeah so i have it right here i don't know that's it's huge delightful i know it's huge i'm like gosh this is enough for me and my family and my grandparents <laughs> <No>. <laughs> think of it, and it smells awesome it kind of smells
0: like gingerbread actually because what what is beer cake um well it has beer in it and that's why it's called beer cake and um and um the you said what gingerbread yeah it, there's cinnamon in there and that's why it smells like gingerbread yeah um and with my beer cake i'm actually going to have a beer
1: um
0: this is the last bottle of the six pack that i got to make this cake and uh cakes before mm. so i'm actually going to open the bottle of beer but so you could call this a guinness cake you could
1: like brand this thing okay and i'm, oh. gonna, I'm gonna drink this chuhi or high grapefruit drink that i got from mitsua um, a japanese um, supermarket in new jersey that i absolutely adore and love um what oh, well,
0: strawberries are $30 though yeah
1: strawberries <laughs> are 30 bucks I know for like a pound which is really uh, insane one day one day if I could get a sponsor <laughs> you know what the, um,
0: I think I think you're right Chantel I think I should rename this Guinness cake and uh, hit up Guinness for sponsorship so cheers cheers, cheers. I'm, I'm drinking coffee.
2: coffee i'm drinking coffee so oh, okay well, no i gave up i gave up alcohol i gave up alcohol for Lent. so you know um i have i have my mickey mouse mug here and it's it's filled with yummy cafe ole mm, nice
1: good. all right
0: cheers guys oh,
1: wait. okay cheers Gembe.
0: Okay, my beer's frozen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. It's a slushy. I know. Just at the bottleneck though, so I'm getting trickles. Mmm. You like raisins? Yeah, I did put raisins yeah. in it. Raisins is optional. I did put raisins.
1: I like the raisins and I think are there nuts in here too? Walnuts. No
0: pecans. No pecans. <laughs> I could put I could put pecans. Um it's a
1: little dry. It might be because of in transit, but the
0: range. Oh, is it supposed to be dry? No, I think I overbaked it. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) well because I usually put it in a loaf pan, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And but and um because I was experimenting, I, I was using the loaf pan for my experiment that that cake because it's flatter mm-hmm. i think it overbaked because of that
1: mm. yeah it's sorry
0: good. sorry about that no 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 it's good it just makes me want to drink more of this yeah
1: <laughs>
0: so so whenever you're ready Chantel, you could hold on, hold
1: on.
0: <laughs> that's the thing isn't it calling on the person who has their mouth full. i know seriously <laughs> at least i was
1: eating something with like spinach so i don't have any spinach in my teeth Um, Okay, so um, it's really funny. So I guess in 2017, right? Yeah, 2017, that's crazy. was when I I finally made the conscious, the final, final decision that I was gonna leave corporate to focus on acting full-time. But like coming up to that moment, if I like rewind, (laughs) I have always loved acting ever since I was a little kid. Um, I am an introvert by nature, believe it or not. Many people don't believe it, but I really am an introvert. But for whatever reason, when I was five or six, 10 throughout the years, the moment I'm on a stage is when I like come to life. And it's like, it's almost like everything else disappears. And I have this feeling of like, power or happiness or flow, like whatever you want to call it, like when I'm doing anything um, acting related. And so like the voice has always called me, but then along the way, you know, I'm first generation, well, not really, my dad did go to college, to a two year college, but I'm basically first generation college educated. I went to boarding school for high school through a program here in New York City called Prep for Prep that identifies kids of color. Um, talented kids of color to go off to independent schools. Um, and in my case, the boarding school. Um, so I went to boarding school for high school where I was the one of the only girls there. It was an all boys school that went co-ed. And so leaning into the unknown is not new for me, It's not unknown for me. It's still really scary. Um, but I definitely have learned that when I do that, amazing things happen, right? Doors open. Um, So I leaned in because I wanted to be like Tootie from the Facts of Life (laughs) to go to boarding school. And for me, it was amazing. It was life-changing. I met all of my best friends is where I feel like I got a real taste of the world on so many levels. Uh, But there I actually got to do a lot of theater as well as a lot of, um, what is it called? Spanish videos? (laughs) So for class instead of doing like a project i was always the one to get the video camera from you know the library and get my friends together and we would do all these videos like we would do commercials i remember but all in spanish um and i would edit it before i knew that's what i was doing like i didn't know that these were real like skills that you would do and then i would do i'd figure out how to do all these um different effects of it but I felt joy. Like I didn't feel like I was really doing like homework. Um, and then when I graduated I, from college. Sorry, okay. That's really funny. So you speak Spanish? Sí, si, hablo español. Wow. Muy bien. Hablo, yeah, muy bien. And I also speak Italian.
0: Um, my heart is, again, to our Grazie. people. Grazie. <laughs> okay. I, I know how to say hello and thank you in, in a bunch of different languages. Oh, you can? Go, let me hear them. Um, well, there's Korean, kamsahamnida. Um, Arigatou gozaimas. gracias, merci, gracias, thank ka, terima kasih, which is Indonesian. Um and then Canadian, thank you. <laughs> With a smile. <laughs> that
1: is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny you do that because I do the same thing. I wanted to be able to count to five in like every language that I like ever knew or heard of, but that's funny that you could do that. That's really cool. Um, but uh, yeah. And actually the funny thing is I've always wanted to, whatever I can do in English, I want to be able to do in Spanish. and oh, it... I forgot. Share, share. Ah, share, share. Oh, yes. <laughs> A little Mandarin. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, but anything I can do in English, I want to be able to do in other languages. Um, and through, again, being first generation, like college bound, I just felt a responsibility to take the corporate route, even though, again, my heart is there, but I knew that if I I went to Yale, you know, Yale for undergrad, if I went to Yale, number one, it would make my family proud. It would make my prep for prep program proud and being an actor, Honestly, you know, like I grew up hearing the stories of the starving actor and like, you know, you can't really make a living doing that. Like all of these like messages like that I heard. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go to school that I don't really know what I wanna do. So I tried investment banking. I did corporate communications work. Um, I did some study abroad stuff, like a whole myriad of things. Um, and finally I decided marketing was my gig, it was the thing that got me excited. And when I look back on it, the reason that I really liked marketing was I got to do presentations. I know some people hate public speaking, but I love it like that. It just, I don't know, it gives me that like feeling. Um, And then I love producing commercials um, because I'm on set (laughs) and I'm the decision maker um, deciding, you know, with my team, of course. But there's just something really magical about being on set and just all of the intricacies of it. And, um, you know, so when I look back on corporate, I'm like, I did, I did like what I did. Like I was in love with it, but the parts that I was in love with were the parts that were more related to being both in front of and behind the camera. Um, and so while that was there, it was like, okay, gotta stay the course, right? You gotta go to business school. So I got my MBA, um, stayed in marketing. So that would help me, you know, continue to climb the corporate ladder um And at the height of my career, you know I was uh, in charge of the uh, US, Canada, Mexico, and Latin American uh, business development for a French cheese brand that makes labache Kity, uh, the laughing cow or la baca. And it was my dream job, right? Because I was speaking English, but also speaking Spanish. So everything I could do in English, I did in Spanish. I traveled. 80% of the time. So I basically lived in a hotel. Um, and yeah, it was my dream. It was my dream job. But there was always something missing. And again, when I was on set and we we're doing commercials, like that's where my giddiness would come up. Or like when they're like, oh, you know, our talent's not here. Can someone stand in? And I'd be like the first person to stand in. I didn't know what that word was. Like I, there's so many things that I, I guess, learned and heard growing up that now being on the other side i'm like oh gosh i know what that is like i I truly know what that is i know what the process is because i went through it but from my client side Um, and then in 20 i guess yeah i guess it was 2013 um the company decided to move its office from new york to chicago and even though i love chicago I love, love Chicago uh, because I worked with them in Chicago at first. And the part of the reason that I decided to go there was Chicago's really big on improv. So I'm like, okay, so finally I'm going to be able to do both. I'm going to be able to work and act at the same time through this like improv area. But because my schedule was so crazy, that never happened. Like I never had time. I wish I could have done what Tanya did, which was be able to do both. But I couldn't, like I could never like fit that in. Um, so it was always like a very latent thing for me. And then when they finally said, okay, we're, we're closing the New York office and we're moving to back to Chicago. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going. Cause I was like, okay, now's my, now's my chance, right? Because I got a severance out of it. Because for me, doing the move meant leaving something that was secure and safe. And for me, financial security is really important because you know, we are not wealthy. Like growing up, I was not from a wealthy family. We didn't have a lot. And it's really humbling when I find like my old, my parents' old like tax returns. And I'm like, damn, like, even if you adjust for, you know, the the dollar at the time, like, how do we live on that? Like a family of four, like, it's very humbling. Um, And so I play the role of like caregiver, I guess, to like my family, or at least I feel, I feel the responsibility to be to care for my family. So if something happens, like I want to be able to help like at a moment's notice and not have anyone have any like hardship. And so leaving the security of corporate America, that decision felt very um, selfish, right? It felt very unacceptable. And unfortunately, my mother passed away from cancer. So I never really got a chance to, in 2011, to like get her blessing, if you will, or just to see if it was okay for me, because I still feel this need to get that validation. Or even my program director, Peter Bordenero of the PrEP PrEP program, um, to get his validation, like, it's okay, Chantel, for you to go ahead and do this. But um, once I had Kai, who's my now six-year-old son, who's my everything, I felt like I had to do it. Like I had to take the step because I want him to follow his dreams and to do whatever it is that he wants to do. And I want to be his role model. I want to show him that be an actor, be a lawyer, be like, it doesn't really matter. Just like follow your heart. And so that has been my, I don't know, my push that like helped me kind of take that first step to go ahead and do it. And of course, having a supportive partner, like Kevin, um, has been really helpful. And, um, and then supportive friends as well um, along the way. But I tell you, it is scary, you know, not having a regular paycheck is really hard. And the pandemic, okay, forget about it. Like, I feel like this, this year was kind of a reset year. <laughs> um, so I got to take a moment. I did take some classes in acting. I took a filmmaking class and I've been doing a lot of writing as well. Um, but kind of taking a pause from acting because I had actually said that last year was going to be the year of theater. So the year I go back to theater um, because the first couple of years I'm like, okay, I need to get in front of the camera because that's what you're supposed to do. Even though I want to be bilingual, so be able to do theater as well as being in front of the camera. um, You know, I really focus on camera work at the very beginning. And then, you know, after I play with Tanya, I'm like, ooh, oh I remember how this feels and oh my god it feels good so I'm gonna get back there um so that didn't happen that didn't happen last year so I'm hoping this year there'll be in 2021 there'll be more of that um but every day is a challenge right because there yeah. is financial stability that's necessarily there but what feeds me is this I don't know knowing that the payoff is gonna be having that feeling in my stomach that makes me feel like I'm alive.
0: What what is that? Describe that feeling in your stomach. Oh God, it's so hard to explain it. It's like
1: butterflies of like nervousness plus almost like a high because a lot of times I don't even remember I don't even remember that I've done a scene or because I don't know, like I lose myself in it. Like I almost become like a part of it and I just feel happy. Like and I feel like a better person, <laughs> like I just feel giddy. Um, it makes me more like aware and attuned in other parts of my life. I don't know. It's, it's very difficult for me to put it into words, but I know that feeling when I feel it Yeah, and it's addictive. And
0: so <laughs> I like feeling that. It is. And, and I think it was the show that you came to, I actually said on stage, hey, this is a wonderful feeling. You guys all should come on stage and do something um and and that was the lowest attended show that I had it was like only six people or eight people in the audience
1: <laughs> but it was a great show it was uh, a awesome show I felt the energy thank I really you Remember that
0: uh, something you said earlier um uh you know about the financial stability and and how you were um you know it sounded like you were maybe a financial pillar within your own uh, family that maybe some of your family members depended on you financially or for your help. Yeah, I was in a similar situation too. So uh, I I know what it feels like to kind of like say, okay, um, you know, maybe for a while, you guys are gonna have to fend for yourselves (laughs) while I do this. I know. Was was that a... Yeah. Was that a tough decision for you? Yeah, it was a really hard decision in the
1: biggest way. Because I got to tell you, L.A. has always called my name. Like L.A. has always like from the first time I set foot in L.A. um, for like market research that I did. I was like, I'm home like I'm home. So New York, New York is still home. But I do feel, again, that giddiness when I'm in L.A., um, but because for family reasons, I stayed close, I never really wanted to be more than like a two hour flight away from home. Because um, my mom was was sick um, at the time. And I don't know, I just felt a responsibility to be to be close. But, you know, I probably would have gone elsewhere. And so, and it's not that it's a sacrifice. Like, I don't want to make it sound like God, like, oh, woe is me, I sacrifice. I didn't live my life. I lived a great life. Like I still travel, I did all the stuff that I love to do. Like, I remember my, one of my goals was to never budget um, because I wanted to have enough money to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, without any issues. Not that I live a crazy luxurious life, but for me, travel is really important. So I've been to like 38 countries um, and I still feel like I'm missing out. Like it's so much more of the world that I want to see.
0: 38 uh, and, yeah, counting, but, and counting and counting. Yep. And counting. Wait, did you at least hit all the continent? Uh, yeah. All the continent except for uh, Antarctica. What? No,
1: uh, but did you hit
0: Antarctica too?
1: No, I haven't done Antarctica. Nope. I have not. So that's really funny. So Australia and Antarctica, I haven't hit. I haven't okay. My last two. Okay. Uh, my last two for me to hit. Um, but you know, so that lifestyle afforded me the ability to, do it. and then when I was working again, I want to be again do in English the same thing I do. And when I would go to Latin America, like you know, or our headquarters of our company was in France, so like I would go to Paris quite often, and then I would stay the weekend or take you know the week off or have it be a work trip because I'm like, oh, I'm doing competitive <laughs> competitive, uh, research to see what other products are in Sweden and wherever, you know, and I could write that off. So I, I don't say those things to say like, oh, woe is me? Like I had to give up so much because of my family, but I, I did make a very conscious decision about what I would and wouldn't do because my family is really, really important to me. And my nieces and my nephew are really, really important to me. Like I wanted them You know, before I had Kai, and I still do think of them as my children. I want them to have every opportunity in the world. So for me, the first time I left the country, I was, I was fifteen or sixteen. I went on a trip with school to, um, oh no, I went on a, I I studied in um, Italy. I did a study abroad in Italy for the summer, and so my, I'm like, okay, I want my nieces and nephew to go to another country before they turn sixteen. Like that's my goal. And then, you know, I had them look at a globe and choose anywhere in the world they wanted to go. And I was hoping they would choose Australia or something like really fun, but instead they chose Paris, which is a place I would go for work. (laughs) But I said, okay. Uh, And so we went to Paris um, when they were young. So like not having the financial cushion means or meant for me that I wouldn't be able to give them those same opportunities. Again, not that they're asking me to do it, right? Not that it's a but in my heart, like there's a something that burns inside of me that's like, that, that says I need to help broaden the horizons of my family and share, have them have all the wonderful experiences that I, or at least the option to have those wonderful experiences that I had. Um, yeah, and acting you know, the, the lack of financial resources doesn't necessarily allow you to do it. However, I will say as a corporate person who's who's very frugal, you know, I do have quite a bit in savings, you know, 401k plan. You know, it's funny, I talked to some of my friends who are longtime actors and they're like, a what? <laughs> you have a retirement? Like, So I feel very blessed to have this, you know, this has lasted last my whole life, you know, until I get, you know, hit big. Um, but I at least have that to be able to help me and to help support my family, you know, in um, in this time of transition, if you will. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful to corporate in that regards.
0: Yeah, um, and I could actually kind of sounds like uh, Tony Randall where um, after he left the, the Odd Couple, he was interviewed um, that, um, and he said he was always a theater person. He loved the theater, but when the opportunity came on to do that show he said okay i'll do it for a while and then and then uh it made him a huge amount of money so yeah he always thanked that tv opportunity but his heart was in theater <laughs> so kind
1: of fully relate to that tony and i like this i was gonna ask yeah is he still alive uh, yeah he's not tanya's saying no okay, <laughs> okay. yeah
0: Rest uh, me. Rest me. Me. <laughs> um so you mentioned kai wait how so how old was kai oh you said uh 2017 is when you make that decision right Yeah, 2017 is when i made the final decision to like okay so kai was like two or three
1: yeah so he was a baby yep and at that time i had um actually gone back to corporate to work at a consulting firm um you know, it's hard to shake the bug. It's hard to shake that corporate bug. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then, but this job was supposed to be a remote job where I worked from home. It was supposed to be fle- like all the wonderful things that I thought I could do and then do other things, you know, be a mom and be able to pursue acting. And unfortunately the reality of the situation was anything but. So I still had to go into the office every day. I traveled, but of my own accord, um, because I wanted to, and it just, I don't know, that's just, that's just who I am. Like I'm just used to, you know, a lot of researchers did not travel, but that was, I don't know, a part of who I am. Um, but after, I would say after the first year on that job, there was like a nail that like sealed it for me. And that, um, one of the senior folks was like it's imperative that this job gets done and it must be done by this date. And it was an impossible deadline, like an impossible deadline. And I said, oh, I have a little reservations about this because it's pretty meaty, it's pretty big and it requires an entire team. And at that point I was working with um, uh, researchers across the globe. So in India, Spain, France, um, South Africa. So tons of um, time zones, which again, I'm used to not, but not working with so many time zones at the same time on one particular project with an incredible impossible deadline and um, she didn't want to hear it she said it was so important it was so critical and then I, I literally sent my son to my sister's house for two weeks and I worked on this project day and night like I probably got in that week I don't know four hours of sleep total and it was the most horrible moment of my life but I got it done and it was awesome and it was amazing and it was wonderful. Yeah. And the client didn't look at it, right? She didn't look at it. This impossible deadline that must be met. And that for me, I was like, game over. Like, if you're gonna kill me, I'm gonna sacrifice my family and my time for this. No, it is not that important. So that for me, and that needed to happen to be honest, to yeah. really push me over the edge to be like, they don't care about you (laughs) and if they are willing to do that to you girl really you are old enough so do that for yourself and so that was when I was like no more no more long hours no more any of this like it is what it is and it was all about me and I you know try to get the context that I needed in order to feel like I was leaving on like a good footing um, the experience and the projects that I needed that would help me um, in the future and do a good job because that really is important to me is doing a good job, but it was no longer sacrificing me um, for the company. So I kicked that corporate experience to
0: the curb (laughs) with a vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for you. Yeah, Um, you know, it's not always easy to make that tough, tough decision, you know? and um yeah so and, and the funny thing is I remember like when I
1: let them know that I was leaving
0: some people were like
1: take me <laughs> like some people that I didn't even know they were miserable and wanted to get out or had other passions they're like I wish I could do this oh my god you're so lucky I wish I could get out of this but I have the mortgage and I have a this and I have a that and I I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. Or I'm just starting my career and I can't do it. And, um, and I was like, God, I am lucky. God, I am fortunate. And I'm not crazy because there are other people that want to do this, but like me, you know, in the past like just for whatever reason just weren't able to take that first step.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it it is just a matter of priorities, really. And you know, people who say I can't do this because I have this responsibility and that responsibility, um, I mean, to some extent, that is a it's, it's a trap or it's a um, it, it's a choice. Uh, because I had the same responsibilities too, and so did you, and um, but at some point we decided, okay, I'm going to make a different choice. And it doesn't kill us and it doesn't kill our families either. It doesn't.
1: No, it doesn't. In fact,
0: it probably yeah. makes it stronger.
1: But I will say it is a choice, but it's not a choice because we've been so brainwashed, at least here in the States, I feel like so brainwashed to, I don't know, what is it? To to, to not do these things that maybe are calling us, our passions that we want to do, right? Because we're fed, it's supposed to be tough, right? It's supposed to be hard. If it's hard, then that means you know, you're know you doing it right. Um, and it's it's hard to kind of stray from that path and to and to recognize that it is a choice. Um, so while it may be a choice, I think because folks can't see it, it doesn't necessarily, it may not feel like it is a choice for them.
0: That's the oper- oh. operative word that it doesn't, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, to to chime in on that a little bit, I guess you know everybody's experience is different, and I it is a choice because we've already made that choice, the three of us, and we're on the other side of it. But when you have a child, a parent, you have to take care of a mortgage, a husband, you know, um, and you choose to stay that corporate road. Hey. I get it, and kudos to you because you know what? There's nothing wrong with that choice. I just want to put that out there that you know, um, there's nothing wrong with that path. My road to what I'm doing now was is a bit of a different one because, as I said, for many, many years, I was in love. I mean, bona fide love affair with my uh, job and what I did for many, many years. Um, So, you know, for, there are those who, maybe there are those who have the dual paths and choose to stay on the one path. Maybe there are those who don't really like what they're doing. And, you know, similar to what Chantel um, said, I had people when I was leaving who were really proud of me, who were really, truly um, proud Uh, And really, to this day, they still they wish me the best. They're, they're happy for my success because um, it does take some chutzpah to
0: make that choice.
2: But if you choose something different, you know what, that's okay
0: too. Yeah, I, I didn't imply, I didn't mean to imply that if you chose to stay in a corporate setting, that that's necessarily a bad one. I, I'm just, it, for objectively, it is a choice that you're making to prioritize financial security over something else or vice versa. And and there's nothing wrong with that because for the longest time, I was in corporate too, 20 plus years. And, um, and I chose to stay there and do what I do. And uh, uh, my personal passions were always a side thing, you know? Um, And and that was a choice that I made at the time, you know, because I never saw myself, uh, you know, in a corporate setting as a career, much less a financial institution. When I was 16, I thought banks were evil. I, I was, I had some pretty radical thoughts when I was 16. Um, I hated Reagan for entering into the the arms race. Um, and I, I wrote a poem at that time about like how I want the atom bomb to drop right above me. Just take me out, take me the fuck out. <laughs> and um, you got to find that poem. <laughs> um, it is lost. That's a, oh, that's a, and that's a, it's my, it's my fault for for losing it. Um, And uh, I think the poem starts with like Dear Ronnie or something like that. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so when I was 16, I was like, you know, I will never work for, you know, like a corporate, a bank, you know, Um, and where do I end up in my first and last corporate job is at a bank. <laughs> I was in a bank for 20 plus years. Uh, not in banking per se, but still in that environment. Um, but, and at the, and also I decided uh, that, and similar to you, Chantel, like I could never make it as a writer. At the time I, I wrote poems and so, and I knew like, I'm not gonna make any living as a poet, forget it. Um, and so, I did struggle with that a little bit uh and you know but at the same and um there was this pbs special that i was watching at the time and um the speaker i think she passed away recently maybe last year or the year before barbara share um she wrote a, a book I forget what the title of the book was. But anyway, she was doing these talks on PBS and I happened to catch one of it and her thing is don't throw away your your passion, what you love to do, even if you can't make a career out of it. Do it as a side thing and that's perfectly fine. You know, if you have a job that pays the bills then keep that job and use that to subsidize your passion and i'm like what a brilliant idea so at that point i decided okay that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna because i don't hate my job actually i enjoyed uh for the most part of my uh my corporate career um i enjoyed what i was doing otherwise i wouldn't have stayed for that long but i did enjoy it and so um hey i'm enjoying it i'm Uh, making good money. I'm supporting my family as much as I could. And so there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, whatever I want to do on the side, I will do. So I did spend a lot of money on the side things. (laughs) So that's where all my disposable income went. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, how do we get on to this? Oh, yes. A choice. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so and at some point, I guess, my my decisions change. Yeah, I should tell you we're gonna say something.
1: No, I was gonna say, and the beautiful thing that I can say now, like what I see now, sitting in this position, is that all roads. The beauty is that we have the power to choose these different roads, right? And and even after you choose, you can always go back. It's not a forever choice. So I remember I was talking to some kids who were in high school who were trying to figure out like what do I do when I grow up? What path do I take? And I'm like just. Take the one that calls you. There's no wrong answer. And if you find out along the way, mm, yeah, this really isn't for me, you can totally switch. Because honestly, a lot of the skills are transferable. <laughs> so maybe that's the marketing person to me that's you know, talking about positioning and how you position But But truth be told, they're all very transferable. And you're a smart person. So making that change can be easy. Um, you just have to go about it in a strategic way. And honestly, even if you don't do it strategically as you're doing it, when you step back, you'll have the maturity and the foresight to be able to make it seem like it was strategic. So don't stress about it.
0: That's right, because you can reposition it in hindsight too. It's like, oh, there was a purpose why I screwed that up because I learned from it and I screwed that up and I learned from that and and so forth. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
1: And then Um, as an actor, I feel like all of my experiences that I've had as a mom, as a student, as a black woman, like all of these things are things that I pull from in acting. Um, you know, little things on the shelf that I have, like the different emotions that I wanna be able to tap into, Um, the time I got slighted for something, the time I got excited or the time I had to ring someone out, like all of these things aren't lost on acting. I think that's why I love acting so much is that um, nothing is lost on acting. And I know someone said that to me sometime and it probably didn't mean anything then, but now it really means something to me, right? When you agree, Tanya? Like, do you feel that, do you feel that way? Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. I, um, I think I said it earlier that, you know, I, again, my corporate career and everything I learned, I mean, I, I, every part of it is with me. All of it, all of the skills, the communication skills, the, um, the emotions, the different emotions, the different Ways you would relate in that corporate structure, the um, the feelings of being in that corporate structure as a black woman, um, you know, all of those things are now
0: with me, and I use all of them. Yep. Um, so. Um, I think the streaming might end in a few minutes, but I'm just going to keep going. So if the streaming ends, it ends. But, you know, uh, as far as our time, we, we have a bit more time uh, so we could keep going. Um, so, uh, so can yeah. I ask you a question, JJ? Yeah. Because
1: <laughs> you've heard us talk about our origin stories and what brought us to where we are. I'm curious, the beer cast, the beer the beer cake podcast like how how did that come about
0: <laughs> it was it was an excuse for me to drink beer on air no i am kidding um so so there's a sort of a couple of different uh, actually i would say three different origin stories <laughs> um so let me quickly address the corporate curb kicking i am actually technically not a corporate curb kicker What I went on was a sabbatical that ended up being lasting four years, (laughs) and I girl, you a here. Stop playing. (laughs) I I know, I know, I I know. I'm I'm partially in denial, but um, I went on a sabbatical in 2017, and uh, I've just never gone back. Um, And I'm still, I am still leaving that window open. (laughs) And well, you should. Yeah, our <laughs> conversation that we had. And well, you should. Yeah, exactly, because at some point I might decide, okay, enough with this. I think I want, I want to get back into the fold and do what I do. Um, who knows? But I have not decided yet to completely sever that, that tie. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so, so that's that. But I did leave in 2017. At the time I left, I was very unhappy. Um, and I would say, Wait, say
1: 2017,
0: yeah, 2017,
1: That's like, isn't your year 2017 to Tanya?
0: Yes. My year is, also- oh, what happened in 2017? That made us <laughs> all three of us. us 2017. 2017. That's kind of crazy. Something in the water. <laughs> that is funny. Wait, mine was May 2017. What was yours? My
1: departure was officially September, 2017, but mentally it happened in um, January. Of 2017
0: yeah yeah me too mentally it was around january 2017 so what happened was there was a corporate restructuring that happened in 2017 which was actually uh sort of the last straw for me because there were a series of corporate structure restructures um but the the 2017 one hit me in ways that i was not prepared to to really handle um, and um, because they completely restructured me and my team uh, in ways that I wholly uh, did not agree with, and nor was I consulted or even given an inkling at all that that would have been a possibility, um, you know, prior to actually happening. So I was basically told after everyone has made the decision Um, you know, said, oh, this is what's going to happen starting, you know, January 2017. And I'm like, so I was like, okay, I'll be a team player. It's fine. Because the job itself that I was doing, I actually did enjoy. And, and there were still things that I wanted to accomplish in that role that I, you know, that would have taken at least another year or two I mean, somewhere between like maybe two to three or five years, it would have taken to accomplish, you know, some of the longer term goals. And so um, I was all, you know, committed uh, mentally to doing that. Um, But, you know, this happened. And, um, and And even after the restructuring, so there was a sort of a firm-wide, company-wide restructuring. And then within each department or each division, there were continuing restructuring and shuffling around and stuff. And it just kept going that way. And, um, you know, and to a point where I was like, um, I no no longer felt, uh, uh, I no longer cared if I did a good job. And uh, that's not a place where you want to be because it doesn't matter what you do. Like you have to be proud and care about, you know and I was never somebody who Uh, sought out recognition or crave recognition and you know I really didn't care because it's a to me it was a job as long as you pay me it's fine (laughs) you don't have to like pour on accolades or give me recognitions or certificates or you know whatever like it you know all those things gravy fine I'm not going to refuse it if you give it to me but it's not something that like I ever sought after like awards and stuff you know um but anyway so, but I, one criteria I did have is I have to care about what I'm doing um, because that's what will drive me to do a good job. And, and it came to a point where I really didn't care that much if, if what I did turned out well or not, as long as I'm doing what I'm told, <laughs> you know, and like, oh my, And that's the point where I really realized like, okay, I need to step away because if I don't, I'm going to really resent this whole situation. Um, And so that's sort of when I decided um, that I was going to leave. I wasn't exactly sure when, but it would have been sometime that calendar year. Um, And so as soon as I made that decision, I told my team, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I don't know exactly when, but I will keep you posted. But you know, this is what I'm thinking. And, uh, and maybe a few weeks or a month after, I decided in terms of timing. So I told them, and then maybe like a month before the date I was planning to leave, I told my manager, told HR and all that, get that whole thing going. Now, uh, except for my team who, you know, uh, who kind of understood you know why i was making this decision because they were suffering along with me um but everybody else you know from hr to my manager to all my colleagues everyone they were all scratching their heads and they were like why are you leaving oh first question is where are you going i'm not going anywhere i'm just yeah, leaving that's
1: always the question where are you going because they want to know are you going to competitor are you going some other place like that where they're paying you better yeah that's always the first question
0: yeah And I said, I have no plans. I am just leaving. I'm taking time off and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do next. And so when they hear that, uh, then the next comment is, wow, you're so brave. I wish I could do that. Um, And at the time, I didn't think I was being brave. At the time, I felt like I had no choice but to leave. Um, And so so. Um, well, to be fair, uh, my dissatisfaction of what was going on was not the only reason. Uh, the other reason was when I started that job. About five years into that job, um, I had sort of mentally decided, okay, I could see myself staying another five years, and at that, but I couldn't really see myself staying longer than that unless something, you know, dramatic happened, like you know, like a huge promotion or you know, different. Sh- a sort of position or, you know, something. Something happened that made me stay uh, longer. So I already sort of had that timeline in mind anyway. And um, September of that year would have been my 10 year mark. So I just left like four months earlier. Um, So there was that. And the other thing was, um, so like uh, Tanya and also Chantal, you two, but Tanya, you really uh, sort of, Hone in on that that pull that you got right except I didn't know what was pulling me all I knew was that something and I even said this to one of my colleagues when she asked me like why are you really leaving. (laughs) And I said um because something's calling me something's out there is calling me I don't know what it is yet, but something out there is calling me, so I have to go. Um, So yeah so that's kind of like why I left Um, and. And then I traveled for about six months, um, and then I came back and I was completely burnt out from travel. So I vegetated for another couple of months, and then and then I started taking, you know, random classes and going to different workshops and talks and stuff. And I was taking this marketing class, digital marketing class, in the summer of two thousand eighteen, and uh, you know, just for fun. I was doing it just for fun, actually. And, um, and it was targeted to small business people. And so everybody else in the room were small business uh, owners, or entrepreneurs, or would be entrepreneurs, Um, except for me. (laughs) I was the only one who was like, la-di-da, this is fun. Oh, I'm eating it up. And, um, And then, but everybody else, because they have their business in mind, they have to do everything else. And on top of this, they have to worry about marketing. And also not all of them were tech savvy. And so they were struggling with some of the concepts and everything. Um, And so, and like second class in, I realized, oh, hey, I could help these people. So maybe that's what I should be doing. I should be consulting. Um, I will say this, that, you know, I am a good. I think I'm a good consultant. What I'm not is a good self-promoter. I know, which is kind of ironic that a digital marketing person is not good at promoting marketing oneself.
1: It's not ironic. It happens. It's like the um, the cobbler's children have no shoes. It's that. It's that same phenomenon. So I'm. Yeah. I i do not feel don't feel bad about that because it's really yeah. ironic. It's very true.
0: I, I, I kind of do suck at marketing myself. <laughs> But, but I'm a good consultant. So if you're listening to this and you need some digital marketing, (laughs) shameless plug here. Uh, I mean, I still, I am still doing it. I still have one client that I'm working with and um, you know but, um, but otherwise like COVID just, you know sent everyone, uh, made everyone retreat their budgets. Um, So the first thing to go is freelancers and consultants and contract workers. And so, um, and you know, and since COVID um, hit, I, I didn't put myself out there. Um, I felt like, you know, so I was kind of think rethinking like, oh, maybe it's time to get a regular job for a while until I figure out what the next step is, but still doing consulting on the side, you know, if, uh, you know, clients do come along. Anyway, so there's that, that's that the beer cake thing. So that's another origin story. So beer cake is two parts. One, the story about beer cake. So beer cake is an actual thing, as we saw, it's a cake that you could eat. Um, It is the first cake that I learned how to make. Um, And um, (laughs) it's the first cake I learned how to make. And so as it turns out, the recipe comes from my grandmother, who taught it to my aunt and and her children and taught it to us. Um, But but. That is not how I remember it. The way I remember it is that the recipe came from my aunt and she got the recipe because she went to a restaurant one day, uh, ordered this cake, loved it so much, asked for the recipe, brought the recipe home, started making it and and taught the rest of us. Now, um, I told this story to my sisters and my cousins, my aunt's children, and none of them recall any detail of this. (laughs) You made that all up? I don't know. So either I made it up or I dreamt it up (laughs) or which is, and the third option is the least likely of scenarios or my aunt told it just to me and no one else. Can you ask your aunt? Oh, oh, she passed away. Oh, well, I'm sorry yeah. to get that. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, did not tell anyone else, including her children, mind you. <laughs> so this is very unlikely that that's the story. So I think um, probably what, what actually happened is maybe I conflated some of the details about, you know, what actually happened and over time my brain sort of conjured this this uh you know this whole uh narrative (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. isn't memory a crazy thing it just is just incredible how it can take something and i don't know 10 years later 15 years later it's a whole different beast in it but it feels very real and it feels very true I have a lot of memories of those of those kinds, especially from childhood. Oh yeah. You know, as a child, you see the world in a certain way. And then as an adult, when I talk to my aunts or my grandparents, they're like, mm, that's, no. not <laughs>
0: that's not what happened. Well, um, uh, the second scenario could also be true. I could have dreamt it. Um, because um when I dream, it's very vivid. And when I was a child, after I wake up, I don't necessarily realize that it was a dream and thought it actually happened. So this happened, this you know exact sort of process happened multiple times. And so after I woke up from a dream or maybe days later, I would remember what I had dreamt, almost like it happened. So it was, it's really more like a memory than a dream. And so when I tell my family, hey, this and this happened, they're like, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so there were several instances of that. So I very well may have dreamt it and, and then later recalled it as a memory. So that's actually very possible. But anyway, uh, so that's the story behind beer cake. Um, is
1: beer cake, is it, is it a, a Korean? treats, snack, like dessert? No, no. Oh, so where did your grandma get the recipe? What is the origin
0: of beer cake? Where, it it sounds German. (laughs) (laughs) What, because of the beer? I mean, it's possible. I have no idea where the recipe actually comes from. Uh, I don't know that my, if my grandmother actually made it up, you know, like, you know, experimented with cake recipes and just kind up came up with it. Or if she if there was another recipe that she modified, I have no idea. Um, but I mean, most likely is that she got the recipe for either from a book or from somebody because um, our family don't drink. And so um, so it's not likely that there was beer laying around and she decided to Put it into a cake recipe one day, you know. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: there is a tradition of like um, baking with alcohol. At least, at least I know like within the West Indian community. My mother's from Trinidad.
0: Yeah, like rum
1: cake, rum exactly, and um, rum punch. Mm, okay, now you make me some <laughs> rum because I love rum. That's my spirit of choice. Um, just so you know, looking for gift ideas. Um, so there's definitely that. And I feel like other cultures too, also bake with, cook with um, alcohol as well.
0: Um, oh yeah, I'm sure there are Korean recipes that use like rice wine and things like that. Yeah. It's just that um, my family was a very dry family um, and most likely it has something to do with the Christian background, you know? And so, cause I think when when the missionaries came to Korea, uh, what I heard is when the missionaries came to Korea back in like 1800 something, um, there at that time, apparently there was a, a quite a bit of alcoholism and domestic violence. And so the missionaries, in order to sort of tame that, basically said, you know, don't drink, you know, drinking is a sin. Well, drinking itself isn't a sin, but it led to sin of like you know abuse and and other things. And so, so yeah, so the Korean Christian community grow up thinking drinking is a sin, smoking is a sin, and uh, I guess, yeah, in terms of vices, like those two things, like, you know, it's a no-no. And, uh, and I've done both. So, oops. (laughs) (laughs) As she takes a drink. (laughs) Chug,
1: chug,
0: chug, 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 chug. But, um period <laughs> but but the m- my generation though don't necessarily think that it's really the older generation like our parents' generation and, and the generation before that because that was so instilled in them but you know later generations we realized no these are just behaviors it's not necessarily a sin and so I could drink and just not become an alcoholic and abuse my you know spouse and children and that's fine you know so uh but anyway um Yeah.
1: I'm curious if, so if, so if your family didn't convert to Christianity, what religion would they have been?
0: Most likely Buddhism. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know what the percentage is now, but back when I uh, heard, this is like maybe 20 years ago or something. I think like 25% of uh, Korea, we're talking, currently south korea obviously um is uh christian and i think buddhists were like maybe 50 percent or maybe less i don't know um and um but also um confucianism which is not a religion i don't think it's really more of a like a philosophy yeah um you know there's uh confucius roots to our culture um as well as some shintoism too so there's there's that
1: it. I'm always intrigued by yeah. the notion of religion. And um, once upon a time I was married before and I was married to uh, a guy from Albania and he grew up Christian, I guess, Catholic. Well, not really. Um, his family was Muslim, but when um, uh, the regime, I'll just call it change for lack of a better word, like yeah. happened, all religion had to stop. Um, and then when he moved to Italy, he kind of embraced Christianity, Catholicism. Um, but it was just really interesting that there were some things that he did. He didn't know why he did it or why he was at Ishala or like. But it was very much his like Muslim like background from just being little and growing up around it, and then having it you know erased completely, but still in his roots and his core, kind of going back to it. So anyway, it's mm-hmm. always very fascinating to hear these stories.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I think my parents' parents were Christian, I think. Um, because I, I think both of them went to church when they were young. So so either their parents were Christian or at least they sent their kids to church. So um yeah. But anyway, so going back to beer cake. So why the podcast? So um, I was always interested in long form conversation. And this goes back to when I was a child, you know, having long conversations with people and finding out like how they think, their background, what do they think about this and that, and and let the conversation, you know, just kind of take us wherever it takes us to, you know. Uh, so that was always something that I enjoyed doing. Now, uh, speed up the timeline uh, to when I was like in my 20s, um, my first sort of long form conversation o- on media that I fell in love with was the Charlie Rose Show. Um, until then, like all interview shows were very short, you know, like late, t- late night talk shows. And even even if it's like an uh, like a interview, Um, There were like 10, 20 minutes max, you know, and you really didn't get the heart of like who the person was, you know, and so and I was I'm always interested in who you are, like, who you are, how did you become this way, what are some values and beliefs and all in motivations and all these things that make up who you are, because none of us are, you know, uh, one sided, we have so many different aspects to who who we are and how we became um so yeah so i would watch charlie rose like on a nightly basis and it was you know i loved it and then and at some point like i stopped watching tv this is probably when tv went digital then i started you know watching stuff on on you know on the internet and um and many years later i came across podcasts (laughs) particularly joe rogan i do uh, enjoy uh, Joe Rogan well okay the thing about Charlie Rose that I liked was one uh, unlike other interviewers that uh, I've seen on TV he didn't have a particular agenda in terms of the way he interacted with his guests he he actually did come across genuinely interested in wanting to hear their story and let them tell it. Uh, So he didn't really interject that much. He would ask questions. None of them were leading questions. And also he interviewed people from all backgrounds, from politicians to entertainers to writers to philosophers to, you know, what have you. And so that just kind of broad spectrum of things. I'm like, yeah, you know what, this is awesome. I'm like, what an awesome thing, what an awesome job this person has. Like if I could do that, that'd be, but I, I didn't think in those terms necessarily that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then so many years later, Joe Rogan's a very similar concept. He talks to anyone, everyone. Um, and he also, um, I mean, sometimes he does kind of go on and on about his opinion and his side of things, but for the most part. <laughs> This is one episode in particular. Uh, he was interviewing this, um, she happened to be Asian uh, woman, uh, came from a research background, I think research psychology or geneticists or, or something. It was something in the sciences. Oh no, I think maybe it is biology, um, from Canada. And she was sort of squeezed out because she basically said gender is, uh, Based in biology, and um, and you know the climate uh, today is gender is a social construct. Um, gender expression may be a social construct, maybe, but even even then, I think there's some biological basis to it. So you can't really throw out biology altogether. I I don't think that makes sense. But anyway. But in the academic world, that's a no-no. And um, and so she was, you know, essentially squeezed out. And so she had to kind of like find her own way and she's doing well, but she came on Joe Rogan's podcast to talk about that. But the like two or three hours he was talking to her, like he hardly let her say anything because I don't know, because I think he has so much to say on the topic himself. (laughs) Chantel, you're on mute. So I don't know what you're saying. No, no. I was just agreeing with you. I was just okay. laughing along with you. That's all. <laughs> but anyway, aside from that, Joe Rogan, if you're listening, uh, if you're listening, uh, you're my role model. So <laughs> when it comes to podcasts.
1: Um, and what other names did you think about?
0: Um, what other names? For the
1: podcast. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I see. Names of the podcast. So my first, um, well, actually, no, there's more to the story. So let me oh, actually right. finish okay, that. go ahead. So, so that, that was that. So, you know, I was, I was always interested in it, but really interested in more, I think as a consumer than, than somebody who would actually do something like this. But then there was also, you know, how like sometimes things come at it from different angles, but they sort of converge. So I think this is kind of like what happened. So another angle it came through was um that you know a lot of what you find on the internet because of the algorithm is that you know so much of it is just shock value and so much of it is just controversial that there isn't enough of a moderate voice that's out there you know normal people talking about normal shit things that happen normally to us and 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 so much of it is just really complex and nuanced that you really have to think it through and talk it through, um, especially when it comes to people of different backgrounds um, talking about different issues um, and you know and conflicts and all these things. You really need to sit down with people and just talk and get to know them on a human level before um, you know. Otherwise, it just is what happens on Twitter, you know. <laughs> um,
1: which is just people kind of tweeting at each other going back and forth and having no true dialogue or conversation,
0: no dialogue at all. Uh, no, con- yeah. And so, and so that uh, the art of conversation really has eroded. I, I would say it has eroded before social media, but social media just like amped it up to the nth degree degree. But even before that for decades, you know, the art of conversation, real conversation and dialogue has been eroding. Um, and, um, and so, so that's, that's sort of one angle. The other angle was, so when I decided, so, uh, so when I decided to start consulting, I kind of like put it out there on social media, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, and um, a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn and said, oh, this is great. Um, you know, I'd, I would love to talk to you about you know, I'm doing something I would love to, you know, even maybe hire you. You know, I don't know. I didn't know how serious she was about it. So I responded and um, and then we started talking and I said, okay, great. And I said, I'd, I'd be willing to do it for free just to, you know, get some experience under my belt, you know? <laughs>
1: Come on now, we gotta stop giving away our things for free. Present company included, I'm totally there. Like I'm guilty of it, but we need to stop giving our shit away for free. We offer so much, like so much. People gotta pay or barter. We could barter. I think that's a fair.
0: Yeah. Sure. Um. So so I, I yeah. Anyway, so we started talking, and uh, and at one point, um, I I didn't know her too well, but I knew her well enough to get a sense of her personality. And, and and I'm usually right about that, you know, getting a sense of like people where they're coming from. Um, And so um, I think maybe even on the very first call that I had with her, I said, just to put it out there, hey, would you be willing to do a podcast with me? And without hesitation, she said yes. So over the next two years, the following two years, uh, we've been talking on and off about the possibility of doing a podcast together. Now, long story short, obviously, since I'm doing this solo, that didn't work out. Uh, What happened was like, as we uh, started sort of um, hammering out the details, that the longer we talked about it, uh, the more it became clear to me that my ideas and her ideas were sort of diverging. And so it seemed that, um, you know, and I couldn't persuade her to come to my side completely. So we either had to meet in the middle or I would have to go to her side. Uh, And this is really more on the the aspect of structure and, you know, and format and things like that. So not necessarily like, um, you know, yeah. the other thing was she was not as big of a podcast consumer as I was. So she also, like her understanding of podcasts was also very narrow um, because her exposure was limited. So that was another sort of point of, I don't know. I, I don't want to say contention, but for lack of a better word, you know, that's where, so we didn't really meet eye to eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so at some point I kind of had, had to sort of, um, making a, a decision whether or not I, k- we keep working at it so that, you know, to the point where we arrive at where we need to, or just kind of give up the idea that we have to do this together. So I, I pose that to her. Um, and actually, and along the, along that whole two years, I did sort of ask her from time to time, maybe every six months or so, like, do you really want to do this? Because, um, we kept, you know, not happening, you know? We've been talking for, and after two years, I was like, okay, we've been talking for uh, about this for two years and it's not happening, so I don't think it's gonna happen. So uh, just be honest and say, you know, uh, it doesn't seem like you necessarily really wanna do this, at least in the way that I wanna do it, if that's the case, then we need to actually just put this aside. Not that we kill it all together, the idea is still there, uh, because in terms of formatting, I think we got to a place where we could both agree, but it still wasn't happening, and so I said, "Okay, I think we could we could just say, okay, let's just put it aside, and uh, and come back to it." Well, there's it no was reason why we can't surprise ever for come me. So, uh, but in the meantime, you're definitely
2: right. I, I was like, thing. "Wow,
0: that's so cool," um, and, and so, I love the name. So when we it's came to that agreement, it was easy perfection. for me to then uh put in all the legwork to get this launched and then you know so between that conversation and the launch you know it happened like in under two months um and so i know for you guys it seemed like it came up all of a sudden out of nowhere oh no, I think
1: I, I remember you talking about it, like oh, really? about a podcast idea in our first conversation, actually, I think we talked about, we talked about a lot of stuff in that first conversation, um, but we talked around a lot of like different things, but it, it wasn't a complete surprise for me, but I was happy to see that it was happening and also super impressed because, you know, Tanya and I have even talked about doing a podcast and yeah, we haven't done much on that yet. <laughs> oh, boom.
0: oh hey that's nice I might steal that uh or it's a slice of it's a slice that's of life <laughs> um uh yeah so I launched it and then uh so then so Jen um de- for the better part of December and sort of mid-January, it was a matter of reaching out to people to be my guests, and uh, and 100% everyone said yes, except for one person, uh, but I understand why they said no, uh, or I I don't think she said no, definitive no, it was more like not now, so, so I left that door open, I said, okay, whenever you feel up to it, it's an open invitation, so who knows, maybe she'll come on it one day, and maybe I'll also still be doing it. So now this is where sort of the corporate training kicks in too, um, because apparently I'm a consummate planner. Uh, One of my podcast guests told me this. (laughs) I said, I'm not a planner. And he's like, you're by definition a planner. What are you talking about? I'm like, okay, Uh, but I think it's true. I think I am a bit of a consummate uh, planner. So. So as soon as I decided, okay, I'm going to do this, I started reaching out to people. And um, there was a part of me that was like, I am um, deathly afraid that I'm going to run out of guests. And so so I went a little crazy with calling people and booking people. So within like a couple of weeks, I had guests booked all the way through June. (laughs) And is it a guest
1: every, is it a guest every week that you do? Yes. That's impressive.
0: Wow. Wow! <laughs> well, only because I was that paranoid that I was gonna have like, what if there's like two or three weeks where I have no one on? I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do then? So I went a little crazy booking people. So, uh, but once I sort of hit that uh, June mark, I figured, okay, you know what? Maybe I could kind of lean back and relax a little bit, and um, and and then you know wait a couple of months before I start booking July and and so forth. Because also like when you book somebody so far in advance, yeah, it's kind of weird too. Like, okay, you know, I'll talk to you in two years. (laughs) Although people do do that. Other people do do that.
1: (laughs) Yes. No, No, it's good. But it's great though. There's a lot of like energy about it that people are interested in participating and being part of the journey and the story. And yeah, I mean, it's fun. So anyone out there who's gonna be your future podcast guests know that this is a lot of fun
0: <laughs> yes uh, and and also i mean uh, one partly because i don't know any famous people but two i also thought that it would be nice to it would be nice yet yes it would be nice to have a platform we have regular people talking so it's as much as it is about um conversation it is also about um allowing regular people have a voice too and, and also to be honest, uh, you know, this is my own journey as well. And about my journey about, you know, finding my own voice. Uh, and that's also true with my music making as well. It is about like finding my own voice, you know, discovering what that is and, and uh, figuring out how to share it. Um, I always f- have this perpetual feeling of unfinishedness. <laughs> Not, I feel like nothing in my life is ever completely complete. And I think that's that's true and that's accurate. And in uh, and, and some way, I think maybe that's a healthy way to go because there's always like room for improvement and you keep working at it. Uh, no one's perfect. And
2: I, I definitely think that I firmly agree. I consider myself as a forever student. Like I plan to always be learning. Uh, And I think that's one of the the great things about this journey that I've been on. That, you know, while to others it may seem cuckoo or crazy, or, you know, um, know, my love of K-pop and me taking those dance classes turned into me acting as choreographer for a play that you know um, I co-wrote with um, Rachel Murray of the Naked Theater Company and we had a a reading and there was dancing and there was music and you know so it's it's interesting how all of those things in our lives right um, start to come together you know I, I take these classes these dances because I love them so much but now I mean I can really dance I mean, when I started, maybe it was one thing, but now, oh, I'm, I'm kind of fierce.
0: <laughs> no, you are, no, you are absolutely fierce. Um, if you have not checked out Tanya's dance routines, what, you have them all on uh, Instagram or YouTube, which one? Uh, you, a little bit of both, in YouTube.
2: YouTube are the, like the long form ones. And okay.
0: Instagram,
2: like the short little snippets, the baby pieces.
0: Yeah, well, I will definitely collect all of your uh, social media handles and and it in the description of this podcast. Um, but yeah, if you want to just kind of call it out. Now, what are they
1: Are you pointing to me, Tanya?
0: <laughs> oh, Okay, so my social
1: media handles uh, on Twitter. I'm Chantal Moses. So my name is Chantal Moses, M-O-S-E-S um, on Instagram because I had a previous Instagram account that was Chantel Moses, but somehow I can't get into it. So now I'm Chantal Moses with a Z. I know I've been trying to reach out to these people so I can reclaim my old account, but whatever. It's Chantel Moses with a Z, M-O-Z-E-S. Um, and then I also have a um, another venture that I work on with my family called The Blended Channel. So since I am obviously a Black woman and Kevin is a Chinese man um, and we have a Blasian baby, um, it's about our journey um, in this world living in Brooklyn. And so that's called That Blended Channel. And we're at That Blended Channel on YouTube and also on Instagram.
2: Yeah. So um, for me, I'm Uh, magic apron 3002 so it's magic apron all one word 3002 and that's all one big thing and um, you know I just do fun stuff I'm always uh, writing and I'm I consider myself now well not consider myself I'm a skit writer you know it started as just something fun but now um, I write skits all the time and so you know I have my K-pop dancing thing. I have the stuff that, you know, we've done together that starts, it usually starts with me, a conversation like this, Chantel, I have this idea. Okay, so we're walking, it's slow motion and then there's this explosion and you know, and Chantel. Cause there's always explosions. <laughs> yeah, there's always explosion. <laughs> and then so she's like, I like it. It sucks. So, no, no, this is what Chantel says
1: it sounds cute <laughs> that's cute I yeah I think that's cute yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely not as you know whereas Tanya's like oh I'm like Ew. well let's think about
0: that <laughs> but you know what that's a good balance because you need someone to balance that out otherwise it'll just kind of go in all different directions
2: and so you know my newest my newest venture is MacGyver woman that was born out of uh necessity uh because things started breaking down during uh COVID that we that I was like well I have to have this so I just started you know MacGyver stuff out up and you know so now so now there's that
0: that's awesome so I have multiple channels so for some reason, I decided everything I'm doing needs to have their own streams and stuff. So, uh, my uh, regular Instagram account, jjko NYC. That's JJKONYC. NYC. Um, I mean, you could follow me there, but specifically, I've been writing these 100-word stories. And so I would actually like more followers on that. So you could either follow me on Instagram, JJCoNYC, or follow the hashtag JJCo100. And there you'll see my uh, 100-word stories. Right now, I'm still in the middle of writing about my travels from back in 2017. So when that's finished, I'll probably move on to something else. I do also do 100 Stories on occasion about my music, which is a separate Instagram account. That's JJ Code Music. I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Bandcamp. I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, basically all the digital streaming platforms, uh, my music's there, so you could check me out. Uh, I am currently working on my second album. um, So uh, there's some, demo tracks is somewhere there also. Oh, I'm also on SoundCloud. Um, And uh, the Beer Cake Podcast, that has their own channels. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, And the podcast itself is also streaming on uh, basically all the major streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, Pocket Cast, and so forth. Um, Yeah, so. There's, there's a lot of that. So there's a lot of maintaining of different channels for me. That sounds like a lot of work, JJ. <laughs> How um, do you manage it all? Um, it's actually, yeah, it's it's not that, it sounds like it's a lot, uh, but um, I basically, like for, for podcasts, I basically post the same information on all the different platforms. So it's not like I'm tailoring to the different platforms. Um, so I'm just taking one thing and just, blasting it out um and uh yeah i don't know why i mean i mean i'm sure i had a reason as to like why i wanted to keep things separate but now that it's separate i have to kind of keep it separate who knows maybe five years from now i i decide uh you know what screw that i'm just gonna keep stick to one thing uh or just blow everything up and do something completely different who knows (laughs) the possibilities Um, are endless yes so we have um one more minute, cause I know Chantel you have a hard stop. Uh, so yeah, anything else you wanna say your last words? Well, for this episode, like, your last words for this episode. <laughs> Was
1: well, that towards Chantel uh, or towards, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. Um, so I, you know, my last words would be, God, life is so amazing. And, you know, if I could ha- have some words of like advice for anyone who's listening, who maybe is thinking about leaving their existing job, whatever that is, it could be corporate, it could not be corporate, um, that know that whatever options you have, they are plentiful. I know a lot of times we sometimes feel like we don't have options, we don't have power but we do have an awful lot of power know that you have a lot of power that you have a lot of choice um, and that any decision that you make today is not a forever decision that for me is kind of like my mantra like when I'm like oh should I send this should I do this and instead of getting stuck in my head and like being afraid I'm like you know what it's not a forever decision You know, yes, it may live in the ethernet forever. But you know what, I got 50 followers. (laughs) What do I have to lose? Not much. Um, So just follow your heart, follow your dreams, don't be so hard on yourself. Um, Because this stuff, it is, it is hard, it is tough, but it's also super rewarding, whatever the path again that you take.
2: I guess, uh, I would just chime in on that, that the decision to follow your passion. right. Uh, is one that you won't regret. It'll lead you to all sorts of new paths. Maybe ones that you didn't even know about, because maybe you're thinking it's going to be this. And it winds up being something like that, but not that exactly. Um, And as you move on that journey, you learn so much more about yourself. Because when you nurture that passion that is deep within, it's about you, it's always about you, right? Um, And that is a beautiful journey to be on. And however you choose to do that and whatever way works best for you, whether for us, it was the decision to just kind of be like, thanks corporate, peace out. Uh, But whatever that way is for you, that there's, just go for it. Go for it for whatever go for it means for you. But when you have that thing, that that baby, that passionate baby that you're holding on to, it's there for a reason. And go ahead on and just love it.
1: And if I could add, sorry, just because on the point that you're making, the other thing is, Everyone's journey is different. So even though we do, we all three have commonalities in our journeys and we've we've converged the here and now, who knows where tomorrow's gonna go. Our coming here was similar, but maybe different, um, but we're all in our own timeline. And so it's sometimes so easy to kind of be like, oh, I should have done this by now. Like, oh, when's my thing gonna go? You know what? You just have to be comfortable that your thing will come when it, whatever that thing is and, and rest easy and comfortable in that timing of wait. Um, I think that advice that someone gave me, I basically, before I took the jump, I forgot to mention, I interviewed a ton of people behind the camera, in front of the camera, actors, writers, directors, just the whole gamut of folks that I've met along the road road, just to make sure I really was making the right decision and that I knew what I was getting myself into. And this one piece of advice that someone gave me of it's your own timing, you own it and it's yours, has really been one of my guiding lights and my guiding principles.
0: Mm Uh, So as a final comment, because this is my show, I get to have the last word. (laughs)
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, Final comment is, I I agree with everything you both said. Uh, Just to add to that, um, don't be afraid to make a decision. And, And you will see, once you make that decision, it'll feel like this weight is lifted and you know what to do. Um, And you don't have to do everything all at once. Just take one little tiny baby step. That's all you need to do. Because if you just keep taking that baby step one after the other, you know, a year from now, you have gone so far five years from now. Like you won't even believe like how far you've come uh, as long as you take that step by step and step. That's that's all you have to do is just focus on what is the next step and that's it. You don't have to worry about what's going to come down the road. For that. Yeah, thank you guys so much, Chantel, Moses, Tanya Chatman, uh, and uh, uh, all of us together, corporate corp, corp corporate curb kickers. That's weird. It's like Guinness talking now. Oh, oh I know. I'm drunk. No, I am not. But um. But I am a lightweight though (laughs) because one is my limit and and I've I've had about half so far. Um, Well, thank you so much for being on this and um, I would like to know, uh, we're not making a firm promise but we are, the three of us, we are in talks to possibly continuing this conversation on Clubhouse! Yay! Yay, Um, And so keep an eye out for that announcement. Uh, please follow us Cur- corporate Cur kickers and beer cake with JJ Co. We're on we're everywhere on social media just look for us and um, yeah on that note I will say goodbye
1: bye love you guys.
0: Bye love bye. you too now you got to do all the languages that you know adios ciao oh, adios ciao what else is sayonara uh, annyeong <laughs> <laughs> See you again. <laughs> Bye.
1: Thank you guys. Bye.